BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wrestling Geeks Hello, everyone out there in Geek Fives Nation. This is your pal, Dane Alps, uh, with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. I think I need to come up with another adjective outside of enticing, but we are very enticing. Uh, aerodynamic, no, that doesn't work. Um, aromatic, no, that doesn't work either. Uh, I'll, I'll call up The Rock and try to figure out something clever for you guys next time. But anyways, we got a great show for you guys. We're going to be going over the huge boom that was the Revolution pay-per-view last Sunday, uh, Wednesday Night Wars. So the follow-up, big things that happened at the end of both of those programs with NXT and AEW. A little bit of stuff sprinkled in with, uh, you know, some some Raw, some SmackDown talk, and a uh, little bit of the uh, since recording on Sunday, the Impact pay-per-view from last night that I don't remember offhand what the hell the name of it was. But joining me. Of course, Sacrifice, I think it was. They, they named it after an old Creed song. Like I said, joining me, like usual, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How is your experience with Daylight Savings Time going, sir? Uh, well, not good so far. I'm, I'm, I'm an hour late, Dane, so you can, you can roast, roast me publicly, publicly here. I have my old man alarm clock set, did not wake up on time. I'm unprofessional as fuck. <laughs> how was your no, week day my week my week was good man um just easy work week nothing too strenuous i'm waiting for my damn stimulus god i did my taxes what the fuck's going on give me that money yeah so th- that's a crazy to talk about actually because i did my taxes you know how the state usually takes like a month later than the federal i got my state back in like three days my federal's being held up i have no idea why but uh, yeah, I'm ready for the stimulus too. I need to buy some uh, hockey cards, man. Gotta, yeah, I, <laughs> I wanted to go to Red Lobster and get steak and lobster, man, because I'm rich. Gotta, I gotta stimulate. I gotta stimulate the card economy. Exactly. I completely agree with you on that. And I don't. I got my state back uh, finally, like two weeks ago, and it was for two dollars. So I appreciate that check. It's like I'm fucking serving tables all over again. I don't know what the hell's going on, Chris. Ah. Uh, 
two dollars do they give you like a time limit on when you can cash that thing in because I, I used to get those from like georgia power all the time they'd be like actually we owe you three dollars and i would i would never cash it the only check i've ever cashed that was that low of an amount was uh if you remember miller miller high life they had that commercial and in, in that promotion where you could get sponsored by them and all you had to do was sign up and they would send you a dollar check <laughs> that's the only one i've ever cashed was the miller high life I- sponsorship check I think that when it comes to state taxes, especially at jobs where you know that you're not going to get that much, like $2, you should be able to sign something in the mail that says, hey, here, put it towards this charity instead of fucking sending me a check for $2 and wasting, you know, paper and shit. Yeah, from what I recall, when I was uh, a single man and used to have to pay pay some taxes every now and then, um, you would – you could – there was an option to, like, throw it – against next year's taxes or whatever in case you owed anything but if it's positive they won't let you do that so it's it's weird well speaking about positive positivity will reign supreme on the show today chris because we got stuff about wrestling to talk about um let's go into a little bit of a recap of last night's show that i had a chance to watch with implications really driving in for uh, aew actually but last night was sacrifice uh, from Impact, and uh, I'll just say it was a good it was a good pay per view. A lot of good wrestling matches. Some of them a little bit slower. I'll kind of go through the whole entire lineup, and then you know we'll we'll talk about the championship match itself or anything that you kind of want to ask me about based on it. Decay came out. We have uh, Decay back as a stable, which is awesome. But it's uh, Crazy Steve, Rosemary, and from AAA Wrestling because of their partnership, Black Toros. So uh, he's very popular in Mexico. He looks like the Mantar if he actually was legit. Uh, but he's, I guess, their abyss now. But they defeated uh, Reno Scum. Uh, Tanel Dashwood with Caleb with a K defeated Havoc and Navia. Don't remember that match, really. Violent by Design. Uh, Joe Diener and Joe Doring uh, with Eric Young, their uh, master, if you will, uh, beat Chris Saban and James Storm because of some tomfoolery. Uh, and essentially Rhino, after screwing over the other team, uh, joined Violent by Design. This is where it picked up for me, guys. After the first three matches, it started having one after the other pretty damn good matches. Eddie Edwards going against Brian Myers in a, a hold harmless match. No holds bar, basically. They didn't go over the top sometimes like Eddie Edwards tends to do now, since he's, uh, I guess, uh, modern-day Tommy Dreamer. Or that's what they've molded them into. Really great technical match. Good hardcore match. A lot of fun. Then uh, Kira Hogan and Tasha Steeles uh, defended uh, the Knockouts Tag Team Championships against Jordan Grace and Jazz. Pretty damn good match. Always good seeing Jazz in the ring. Uh, my second favorite match of the night went to Ace Austin with Madman Fulton in his uh, corner. Defeating TJP to win the Impact X Division Championship. Uh, really good stuff just b- between the aerial work of Ace Austin and the technical stuff that TJP can just do out of nowhere. Uh, really impressive uh, wrestler, but uh, Ace Austin got that win. I was happy about that. Deanna Perrazzo defeating ODB uh, to retain her knockouts championship. Good match. Finn Juice picking up the victory from the Good Brothers. So Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson are no longer the Impact Tag Team Championships. New Japan's Finn Juice, David Finley, and Juice Robinson are now the Impact Tag Champions. What does that mean in the future? 
What does that mean with the relationship between Impact and New Japan? We don't know. And probably the biggest one, Rich Swan in an excellent match against Moose, uh, defeated Moose uh, to win both the World's Championship for Impact and TNA uh, in a unification match. And now in the next pay-per-view, we'll be going against Kenny Omega for champion versus champion. So the unified title, um, if they make a new one or if they, he's just going to carry around the TNA and the Impact, uh, will be on grabs as well as the AEW World Heavyweight Championship between Kenny Omega and Rich Swan. Um, my biggest thing, great match. Uh, I think, and this is no offense to Rich Swan, we said it, he might be the better worker out of the two. He might have a bunch of, of charisma and, and great personality, love the dancing and everything. I think this was a chance for Moose, really, to me, to elevate impact uh, because they've really molded him actually into a star, I think. They, from the ground up, I think that Moose has collectively gotten better in the ring, gotten better on the mic. This tweener role that he's had, he's done a lot of good things. Um, but he didn't win, and apparently, um, in and out of storyline, Moose will be taking off a little bit of time from wrestling. Uh, I guess that was within the deal itself. Kind of strange, nonetheless. But that was... Impact Sacrifice. Any questions, Chris, about last night? What do you think? No, it sounds like a pretty good pay-per-view. I guess I, if you had to watch a couple matches off there, if you could give some recommendations on that. But uh, the Moose thing, just to speak on that, it's a little weird because didn't he? He's like one of the few people that signed a long-term Impact deal. So I'm kind of, it's kind of shocking that they didn't go with him here. But if he's taking time off, I wonder if he has like a nagging injury or something. I haven't heard anything, but... That would be my thought, because he's like one of the few people that actually re-signed with Impact specifically, right? Along with uh, Rich, yeah, he was definitely one of them. Sammy did as well. A couple other people that are, you know, uh, I would say big in Impact. Deanna Perrazzo. But yeah, Moose definitely extended his contract, so... I don't know. Um, maybe, I, I think you're right. It's probably a nagging injury. He's probably taking a break for a little while. Still very strange that he wouldn't want to get, you know, maybe one more match under his belt as the Impact Champion. But then again, I I don't know how it makes sense for Rich to beat Moose. Maybe they don't want Moose the championship losing to Kenny Omega because I feel like it's inevitable, Chris. Uh, Kenny's going to be the belt collector. He's going to soon have four heavyweight championship belts, even though two of them equal one, whatever. Impact TNA will be his along with the AEW and AAA heavyweight championships uh that's not a spoiler no what is the thing well that's not a prediction that's a spoiler little uh penguin like man told me that once <laughs> oh i love paulie yeah and uh i think that the, the other big thing juice robinson david finley showing up on impact going against the good brothers beating them now our champions obviously showing there's going to be a little bit more interaction with New Japan and Impact Wrestling. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. I'm very surprised they took the belts off of Kenny's, uh, Kenny's two dudes. Uh, very surprised, actually. Does that mean they're going to be in the hunt for the AEW Tag Team Championships? That was my original thought as soon as, I, as, soon as you said that, because I, I hadn't had a chance to check out the full pay-per-view yet. 
but if if they drop the titles, I'm assuming they're just going to be on Impact TV more often, so they want to move those belts. I guess the biggest surprise to me is that they're moving it to Juice and, and David Finley, so there must be some kind of working agreement there where they're going to be there quite often, because otherwise there's other tag teams you could have moved the belts to, even if you wanted to do this. Um, that's just, it's, it's a little crazy to me because I don't really see those two cats as a tag team as much, but uh, in, in the impact world, I guess so. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do for sure. Uh, who do you want to see them really feud with? I guess. Yeah, we got James Storm and Chris Sabian still, right? Yeah. I, I mean, they would have a kick-ass match if you took out James Storm, even though I love James Storm and got back Alex, but I don't know when the hell that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I guess James Storm and Chris Sabian. But that's, that's babyface, babyface. I'm trying to think of like a good heel team. And how is it going to help the Good Brothers to want to maybe go after those titles, unless they just kick the shit out of the Young Bucks backstage? But still, you lost your titles, <laughs> your Impact title, and now you're going to be going and trying to get the AEW ones. Like, it's a very, it, it's an interesting situation. I don't know, know exactly what they're doing with it, but yeah, very surprising taking it off of uh, Gallows and Anderson and putting it on a New Japan-based tag team. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. There is the the tag team division over at Impact has taken a huge hit. And, uh, you know, the North is gone. Obviously, uh, the Rascals are gone. Uh, Alex Shelley got hurt. Um, you know, it's it's definitely depleted compared to where it used to be. So um, I don't I don't know exactly. I guess we'll have to tune in and find out. But very strange decisions by Scott Demore and Don Callis with this pay-per-view. Good matches, I, I would say. If I were to pick a couple. Uh, I would definitely say to check out the Eddie Edwards versus Brian Myers match. That was a pretty damn good match. Uh, Ace Austin against uh, TJP for the X Division. Uh, Deanna Perrazzo against ODB. The Tag Team Championship match. And definitely the World Heavyweight Championship match. Uh, the, the the women's one was fine, too. But, you know, it was more TV standard, I would say, than anything else. And everything else before that, I feel the same way. Nothing was that bad, but if you want the standouts, uh, I would even you could even drop no no offense, but uh, Perazzo and uh, ODB and just the tag match, the two championship matches and the hardcore match were all excellent. And uh, good job by Impact. Still kind of weirded out by some of their booking decisions, but you know I've been weirded out in the past by their booking decisions, so I guess I will continue. Yeah, I'll give them props on this one, knowing that this wasn't one of their larger pay-per-views. They only charged like 10 bucks for this thing, which that's been some of my bigger problem with Impact and their pay-per-views in the past when we went over them or talked about them is they were still charging like 40 to 50 bucks for the full show. This one, they seem like they dialed back a little bit. I don't know if that's just because of, of the pay-per-view itself, but uh, I, I think $10 is around the amount I would want to spend on an Impact pay-per-view currently unless something absolutely insane is happening yeah i i think uh, what i'm assuming is maybe they're starting to realize that people aren't going to get their network in order to watch the pay-per-views and they should just probably give the availability to charge uh a little bit more just to see the pay-per-views by themselves 
on fight and whatnot or wherever they uh, distributed it from. So probably should realize that beforehand, honestly. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe they'll also join Peacock and we'll get impact in WWE on the same network. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. But yeah, that's that's been one of my biggest problems with them is just how much they charge for their pay-per-views. And, and, I mean, especially if you compare it to something like Ring of Honor and some of the other things out there which I would consider impacts competition more so than, you know, AEW, NXT or WWE uh, is they were still at that $50 mark without giving us a $50 product. Sounds like this pay-per-view is pretty good though. I'm looking forward to checking out the Eddie Edwards match. I think that that sounds like based on what you were saying, that sounds like it was a really good match. It was fun. It was, I, and we'll talk about it when we go over uh, the AEW pay-per-view, but it was refreshing to see, and I mean, this is the thing. Impact does this all the time too, usually with something involved with Sammy Callahan. But it was refreshing to see a quote-unquote no holds barred match that didn't get too fucking crazy, and you know, just was a good street fight between two dudes. And uh, Brian Myers, one hell of a win, or I was about to say one hell of a winner, one hell of a wrestler that doesn't win. So, you know. Yeah, what did they call the match? It was like a no holds. Was it what with no moves or something? Like what the hell was the name of this match? Because I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Because I haven't kept up with Impact. It was called a hold harmless match, and it's just a no DQ match. That's all it is. <laughs> so, all right, whatever. <laughs> okay, it, it that makes more sense. Out. All right, well, um, another big news. Uh, Chris Andrade, fiance to Charlotte Flair, had asked and requested his uh, release from WWE uh, since the fact that they haven't used him in a very long time. They wouldn't let him go back to NXT. Uh, this seems to be a theme that WWE turned him down and uh, kind of sucks. Uh, there was a something that was said not too long ago that Vince doesn't didn't see much in Andrade and Aleister Black specifically. We know that Aleister Black not only did his wife Selena Vega, uh, Tia Trinidad, uh, get cut uh, not too long ago, but he hasn't been used in forever. Uh, this even brought up the fact that Bo Dallas hasn't used been used in about two years. Uh, just kind of disgusting stuff, knowing that you're taking away these guys their 30s, their best years of wrestling. Um, instead of either letting them go, and I understand how contracts work, but if you're not going to utilize them, what the hell's the, what's the point of paying them? Or, like a lot of them want to do, go back to NXT uh, to perform, to be able to actually wrestle uh, on that platform. So, another situation, I don't know what's going on. All I know is I don't think there's any type of problems with him and Charlotte. So, very strange, since they seem to be Wanting to make Charlotte happy. We also know, and I think this is unrelated, and I don't know if you should really look into it, but a lot of people are reporting. Uh, Charlotte, not too long ago, uh, went and licensed her name, Ashley Flair. Um, I don't know what the hell that means exactly, but if there was any aggravation in the past for reasoning to do that, or if she's just doing that to be smart, whatever, you know, because she doesn't know what's going to happen in the future. Either way, I don't think this is going to do anything but amplify her aggravation. Then again, you know, I don't think just because he's with Charlotte, he should get any special privileges. 
But we all know Andrade is ridiculously talented. And if given a chance and shown, I mean, what he was doing with Selena is very similar to how they're handling Pentagon uh, currently with this new feud with Cody. It can be done. What the hell's the deal? And why is people like him and Aleister Black specifically, first of all, how how does Vince not see anything into him? in them i should say and how are they not just allowed to go back see if they're trying to make that request i don't get any of this what's the pettiness for with vince chris oh that's such a great question and i have absolutely no answer for you that's the same question i would pose to everyone out there is why look if you don't want to use the guy right or you have some kind of you don't think he fits on your current main roster which doesn't make any sense to me because your show's three fucking hours long on raw you should give them the opportunity to go back to nxt there's no reason why you why you shouldn't um especially because they're both established when you're talking about alistair black and andrade they're former nxt champions so you already have a lineage there you have video packages you have tons of ways you can move them around and make that interesting it's baffling, man. So poor Andrade, his contract's just going to be held up, I guess. And I, it's very doubtful they'll go the Brody Lee route and actually release the dude. Yeah, and we all know that I think Andrade could do really well on any of the other platforms outside of WWE. So it's just uh, it's very frustrating. But, um, I mean, honestly, I would watch it uh, because of his fiance. If you if you consider Charlotte one of your bigger assets, you know, I don't know how long she signed his contract, but frustration revolved, or involved with this, who knows what could happen in the future. So, I don't know. I would, uh, very, very, very strange, Chris, I would say. Yeah, and he was one of the guys that Paul wanted to push, the same as Aleister Black. And I don't know if they're being punished for that or what the hell is going on. But it is super weird that both of those guys are kind of out. I mean, with Andrade, he had an injury problem. Then I think his grandma passed away. So he was out for a significant amount of time. Um, And then he failed a wellness policy. So I don't know if he's just being punished for that. But... Uh, if you're looking at it in the big picture of things with WWE, even if they hold up his contract just to the end of his contract, you know they're going to tack that time on, which is even shittier. We've talked about that in the past. I kind of wonder, with both him and Aleister Black being kind of big names, do you think someone actually pops the cap on this lawsuit to try to get the, their contracts canceled? Because, it's, I mean, it's going to happen at some point especially now that there's other viable options to get signed. I mean, I think that people should look into that. I think there's enough people that, you know, like, like I just said, Bo Dallas has not worked in two years. He's not injured. Nothing's wrong with him. No NXT, no main event, even just sidelines since the whole Miz thing, the Miz Taraj, <laughs> you know, I think Maybe- that that's, kind of ridiculous i think a lot of people like that should get together um and say something maybe he just doesn't believe in himself haha <laughs> oh lord i don't know maybe he maybe uh 
maybe he should be one of Bray Wyatt's puppets. I guess that, that could work, right? They're brothers. I don't think people know that, but... I mean, I don't have anything against Bo Dallas. I think he's actually way better in the ring than Bray. Um, but it's not like you're missing out on a huge... What could be a huge name there, like you have with Aleister Black or Andrade. I mean... He, he would have been he would have been interesting when, when Jason Jordan got hurt. He would have been interesting to tag with Chad Gable instead of the weird fucking tag teams that they've had him go in, uh, including Otis and Bobby Roode before that. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a strange thing, but I I really hope NXT is going to be two nights long. Chris, I'm not talking so much for Andrade. We're already seeing stuff build. Pete Dunn's basically made an open challenge for anyone who wants to go against him. I'm hoping that they can at least, if they wanted to, or like Hunter could use Alistair Black in a one match thing at a two night takeover. If they're not going to fucking use him, like I, I I just don't see the point. And that goes for anyone on the active roster that they don't have anything for that are alum in NXT. I would hope and think that maybe Hunter would be able to pick a couple to amplify because they're doing it half on USA on Wednesday and then the other half will be on the, the network and Peacock. So I, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, I, I, I don't know why the hell they wouldn't just jam pack that since it leads up to WrestleMania. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And when I first read this before the news came out that they refused his release or whatever, I almost thought that that was where they were going is that Andrade is just going back to NXT. This is an easy way to get him back there. He's publicly distancing himself from WWE. That's going to get some stir just because if you do anything on Twitter in WWE, like removing the WWE part of your Twitter handle will make people take notice. So I thought that they were just trying to draw attention to the product at first. But then WWE came out and made a public statement about, like, we refused to release. So unless they're going to play that into a storyline, who knows? But you would hope that they would use these two guys in, in some form or fashion. The top of the NXT heavyweight division is not the strongest. I think, uh, you know, with just it being Adam Cole and, well, Adam Cole for so long, um, it's it's just kind of spread thin, in my opinion. I agree. <sighs> and they're about to have two shows, so we'll have to wait and see on all that. But uh, very interesting situation. Uh, and let's let's talk about that itself. Me and Chris are going to be so friggin' busy covering stuff the week of WrestleMania. Now that the schedule has come out for it, uh, we have the go home show for SmackDown. Obviously, Saturday and Sunday go by, and then that week, the go-home show for Raw, the Hall of Fame, uh, which will be two classes, last year's of 2020 and this year's of 2021. Molly Holly being the first person inducted, really sweet thing happened on the bump where Hurricane and her both got emotional, and he told her the news that she was getting inducted. Really, really like that. But anyways, Wednesday comes, half of TakeOver on USA. Thursday comes, the other half of uh, TakeOver on uh whatchamacallit on the network and pacock and then friday smackdown then wrestlemania saturday wrestlemania part two part deux if you will sunday monday after mania so we might be doing some tuesday shows uh depending on AEW and nxt well i guess AEW mainly 
Um, maybe you just have to stick to a WWE week that week. It's a lot of shit to cover. That's all I have to say. Chris, are you looking forward to that much fucking wrestling for WWE that week? Two WrestleMania nights. Two classes for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> two takeovers. I guess it just depends on how long each one is. Like, if the Hall of Fame is going to be like an hour apiece and NXT is going to be, and all the shows are going to be like two to three hours, it won't be too terrible. But, yeah, that is a lot of shit. At least it's not all on one night, though. I, I, I still look forward to this more than when we had like the seven hour WrestleManias and I had to start watching at like 4 30. Yeah, there's there's plenty of room with the takeovers, like we said, and the WrestleManias for there to be plenty of matches with some of the biggest names in both, you know, parts of the organization, WWE. Uh, we should get a lot of good matches that week. And also there'll be a lot of probably smaller indie shows following that. I'm sure AEW is going to try to do something big on their show. Maybe they're also their, their Monday big show. Get it? Cause big show Paul white is don't worry about it anyways. Um, but yeah, it, it should be, should be crazy. Maybe Ric Flair will join the horseman team on that same week. <laughs> so question. So they're doing two NXT shows, right? Yep. Can you think of something to fill four hours in NXT as far as like what you would consider pay-per-view quality matches? No, that's what I, if they're doing it where the first half, the first takeover is going to be where NXT is. So it's going to be the last season USA on a Wednesday will be the first half of takeover that Wednesday night. And then they're moving to Tuesday the next week. Holy shit. So technically, now that I'm thinking about this. Yeah, so the next NXT, they, they're literally having shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. That's nine days in a row. Um, but NXT TakeOver Part 1 will be on Wednesday on USA. The next night on Thursday, it will be on the network. So they have to fill that with matches. That's why I'm saying, you notice that it doesn't seem, you know, maybe they can find something for Kevin Owens to do from now and then. But there's a lot of guys that used to be in NXT that don't seem to have a lot going on at Mania. Maybe they can fill in some spots and have some pretty awesome dream matches uh, peppered in there. I They have to do something. Either, either it's bringing people from UK, the UK back or pushing people down so that they have their own moment on TakeOver or whatever. Because... To me, that's a lot of wrestling for NXT in a short amount of time. They have, like, less than a month to build. And, like, who the hell... Like like I said, outside of the top matches, we know we're going to get title matches, right? So, have yep. something with a North American title. We'll have the uh, men's... The men's heavyweight title with Finn. You'll have, I guess, the new women's tag titles, which we'll get into later. I, I still think that's fucking ridiculous. Um, that's... Those are your three guaranteed matches, and the rest of the matchups we've seen on this show. Yeah, to me, all right, so if we break it down from what it looks like so far, it looks like it's going to be Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole, unless they decide to clear that up and Adam does something with someone else. But it, it he just made a kayfabe concept that his injury's still nagging, and he's going to have to be out for another two weeks, obviously. But, but in the thing, he said, but once I get back, I'm going to destroy Adam Cole. So they're just keeping him off television. It seems like it's going to be Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. Finn Balor, Killer Cross, they have 
stare down. You know, Finn Balor said, what took you so long uh, at the end of uh, NXT? So that's going to be your championship match. Uh, tag team champion, I don't know. I would put it on MSK, the Rascals, uh, and get it off of Lorcan and Birch. Pete Dunne put out an open, you know, uh, he put out an open whatever, whoever wants to come after him. So that's why I said I, I, I didn't insert Aleister Black there. They're making it sound on NXT, at least Tommaso Ciampa saying something about him, that Walter is going to be coming and joining Imperium. They're trying to get Timothy, obviously, to join. They have a match next week. I could see Timothy screwing over Ciampa and then Walter making his presence and that being a match possibly with him and Ciampa. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. The women's tag team titles, like you said, probably some type of ladder match for the North American title on Johnny Gargano. And now it looks like Jordan Devlin against um, uh, Escobar uh, to unify the cruiserweight tag or the cruiserweight champions. So that is a pretty good amount of matches. You throw in, I don't know, a Kevin Owens against someone if they want to do that, or say Sami Zayn, Shinsuke. You know, there's plenty of people that they wanted to bring over. Um, they could actually they could make some big matches for a two night event. But as of right now, I don't think they have enough. Yeah, and especially if they're going to do a pre-show or sprinkle some extra hour of content into that show, which is possible because it's going to be on. I mean, it could go longer than their normal their normal NXT takeover. Um, yeah, I mean, all of those matches should be entertaining, minus the women's championship. I, I still don't know what they're doing there, but we'll get into that later. Oh, I think it's going to be EO against uh, Raquel Gonzalez. Because of the stare down, I think that's definitely going to be the match. But yeah, and EO has to drop the title. And you you said Karrion Cross versus Finn, right? Yeah, they had a stare down as well. Um, so God, they have such a short amount of time to build these feuds. They do. <laughs> like, like realistically, for me to care about these matches, I could see them doing something with Adam Cole where they do another Iron Man match just to fill time. Him and like Kyle O'Reilly. They could Kyle. definitely kill it. I mean, I guess that's the thing is they're going to give them a little bit more time to work than I'm probably thinking. I'm just used to WWE where these things are going to be like seven minute matches. Yeah, so. usually normally NXT takeovers have been four to five matches. So if they have eight to ten for both nights, they could probably fill that up, I would say, because they usually do do longer matches. Um all those matches though that I listed, a lot of like I'm looking forward to Jordan Devlin against Santos Escobar for you know to unify the cruiserweight title. Um, I'm looking forward to Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, Finn Balor, especially if they do the Demon and let Karrion Cross not only take back the title but actually defeat the Demon, could be awesome. Uh, Pete Dunne against whoever, you know that open challenge that it seems like he's going for. Uh, if there is a Tommaso Ciampa versus Walter, that should be a fucking great match. So they can do it. I'm just I'm just wondering still um, how they're going to pull it off. That's a lot of fucking matches between that Mania, SmackDown, Raw. Uh, WWE is definitely going balls deep, if you will, Chris. It's a good, uh, it's a good name for it. <laughs> are they letting people in for the NXT show? Because I know they are for Mania. Like, they've yeah. technically been approved for 35000 I think. Well, they usually have people in the whatever the hell it's called, uh, the Capital One. No, it's not the Capital One. The Capital. Damn it! 
I'm I'm looking about my wrestling shit. Um, they usually have people anyways, but I I'm assuming they're probably gonna have more uh, for the takeovers. Yeah, I mean that that's gonna be the biggest thing is like what what crowd are you bringing in, and also how are you gonna flesh these feuds out with less than a month ago, and just the sheer amount of wrestling that WWE is gonna give you in one week. Like, I, I don't know how you can make both of those shows look good. That's the one thing about NXT TakeOvers is there's never really been a bad one. I can't think of an NXT TakeOver that was bad. And this runs the risk if you're doing this many matches with this many varying storylines that aren't completely fleshed out. Do we get our first bad NXT TakeOver? Which I hope not. I don't think that's going to be the case. But there is a whole shit ton of WWE content, and some of that might just get lost in the mist of everything that's going to be going on that week. Well, we'll have to find out once it comes through, but uh, I say we move on uh, now and talk about uh, the explosive event that was AEW uh, Revolution. So I had to get my giggles out ahead of time, Chris. I'm not <laughs> going to zone in on that one thing, but it's pretty crazy that that, just, that that happened, and we'll have plenty to say about it. I'm sorry that people want to just overlook any fault if they're very much, you know, into AEW or very much into WWE, anything that they do that's dumb or a, a failure that you just want to pretend it doesn't happen or get aggravated at people that kind of call it out. But, hey, do you want us to give our opinions or sugarcoat it for you? Probably sugarcoat it, but that's not going to happen. Me and Chris never do that. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the explosion. I really like the match, but it sucks that people will talk about that thing. Uh, over the match itself. But, um, Chris, overall, what do you think about the pay-per-view? To me, their weakest pay-per-view they've had. Um, and this is not just because of the explosive match. It's, it's the overall quality of the card, some of the matches, lots of run-ins, uh, not, not necessarily DK, DQ finishes, but lots of interference and things in the match that I didn't really necessarily care for. Um, wasn't a huge fan of the women's matches. They were there. Right, there's a lot of stuff. Once we get into it, we'll, we'll we'll dive in deeper. But there's other things to dislike about that show more than just the fucking explosive at the end of it didn't work. Like, like there's a lot of things to dislike about the show, in my opinion. I know some people thought it was a, a decent pay-per-view, but this is also something they charged you $60 for. So, uh, and it, this was not a $60 show. I would have to agree with you, um, but yeah, I, I let's let's start with the pre-show. Uh, Britt Baker, uh, DMD, who was supposed to go with uh, with Rebel. Uh, Rebel ended up quote unquote hurting herself, so we got to see the wonderful debut of Maki Ito, which I have more to say about her when we get to Dynamite. No, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Just to let you know. Uh, but they were going against Riho and Thunder Rosa, and they had, at least at 15 minutes, it was a pretty long match, and uh, Britt Baker won um, because of tomfoolery. It was it was fine. I, I liked it better than the actual women's match that was on the pay-per-view, so that says a decent amount. But yeah, this was uh, this was interesting. You know, some of your some of your bigger, and this will be a reoccurring theme that I'll probably go back to, but some of the bigger built, you know, uh, characters in the women's division with Riho, Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker, and they're on the pre-show match. Um, 
Yeah, good stuff. What do you think, Chris? I I didn't have any problem with them putting on the the buy-in because Thunder Rosa is kind of one of their biggest draws, especially in the female division, if they wanted to highlight female wrestling leading into the pay-per-view that's not a bad match to have there it's weird that they just randomly said rebel was injured and kept her off tv for two weeks <laughs> um because she i she was technically it was the person that was supposed to be in that match originally right mm-hmm. and uh the quality of the match itself was was not great i get what they were going for get as much talent as you can on the show I, I'll say this. Did this entire show feel rushed to you, with with the exception of, like, the Sting cinematic match, which obviously you can't rush because the thing is pre-taped. But it seemed like a lot of people were just running through shit on the show. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. But, I yeah, and I, and I have to agree with you. I, I don't understand what, that, what they're doing with their women's division. And like I said, we'll get into it a little more. Later, I mean, there wasn't anything. This match was not as bad as what they put on on Wednesday. So, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, it, it was fine. I mean, I know people like Maki, I guess. Well, What do they, they like about her? I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, I, I don't understand it. it. It's not just the fact that she can't even take a fucking microphone with foam on it and make it look believable that she's smacking Sheeta on Dynamite. I don't understand why we're not allowed to have a problem with some of the direction they're going. The fact that you've built Nyla Rose, the fact that you've built Britt Baker, the fact that you've built Riho, Thunder Rosa, Sheena Deeb, like you actually have, you know, popular characters and your fucking women's title match is against someone that was able to get through not only Nyla Rose, but also uh, Aza Kong in the friggin' tournament. And people were able to wipe through all the ones, you know, that were relevant and were supposed to just like these Joshi wrestlers from DDT and random organizations instead of Shimmer or, or some of the bigger ones over there. You know, it's a joke. And I got told by someone uh, that Kenny Omega doesn't have anything to do with the women's division, which is a crock of shit, because I looked up an article and he specifically picked all these Japanese wrestlers. For the tournament. So I'm sorry that people don't clearly know things, but I, I think it's you can criticize Kenny and AEW for the treatment of the women's division and getting women involved when you have, if you want to borrow from other organizations like you did with Thunder Rosa from the NWA, Impact's women division is, is to me the second after NXT for the most, you know, uh, full, like, flourished women's division. But you can also just go with your own. Or try to push people there. Like, I mean, not that I thought Big Swole was the best in the ring, but where the hell has she been? Like, there's plenty of people that they can go to that are actually homegrown talent. And I thought the tournament was a friggin' joke. No one knew half the side. I'm not the only person who thinks that because diehards that love AEW probably went and researched these Joshi wrestlers, learned all their friggin' highlights, and then worshipped them just because they're in AEW. I'm not like that. I know this is a friggin' rant, but it just pisses me off. I don't think I'm not gonna say something stupid like Kenny has a, a fetish with 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 Yoshi wrestlers. I think that is kind of a fucked up thing to say. But there's an obvious thing that 
they're well-liked and regarded, even though they don't produce the best wrestling. And I'll go to our champion, Sheeta. She's been stale and boring to me for a very, very long time. But they continue to have her go over every fucking person. And the person she went against tonight that we'll talk about the match, no one knew who the hell she was. No one knew about their feud. And the chops were terrible. So there you go, Chris. I don't know. So here's the thing about people that's like even going back and trying to watch their highlights. Like we watch a, a fuck ton of wrestling, right? Me and you both. We watch a hell of a lot of wrestling from various promotions across the world. Uh, things that I do not watch or tune into is matches from DDT like two years ago, three years ago. <laughs> Like, that's not on my top tier list of shit to watch. So the people that are just very invested in these old feuds. Well, I mean, I'm glad that you like it. I'm glad that you enjoy it. That's cool. Some of it's benefit of the doubt, no matter what. That's what I'm getting at is how many of these people actually know the career of these superstars versus like, well, I know they wrestled in DDT and they told me this is a feud. The bigger problem is they should have went like the Mae Young classic tournament style of at least giving us a show or some sort of YouTube preview of who every one of these superstars are and why we should care and who they feuded with in the past. If you're going to build storylines around stuff that we didn't see on American soil or didn't see on TV in general, which this is, has been a consistent problem with AEW on and off for a long period of time, whether it's setting something on up on B, uh, BTE or something up on dark we need to know that you need to show us why we should care about these people. So that's a large part of it for me. Um, and as far as like why people like Maki, which is one of your questions, uh, she is a cute person who flips the bird and sings. I guess that's, that's why people are into her. She is basically a pop singer trying to do like a Harley Quinn heel thing. Oh, great. It's a really interesting shit. Anyways, the thing uh, is, the, the the bigger problem is is if they did this shit in the Mae Young Classic or something on NXP, people would bury the fuck out of it, right? And you and you can't say that for some reason. If you say, "Hey, this is kind of ridiculous what AEW did," and you're not getting mad at that, but if it wasn't WWE, you would destroy it. I don't understand that type of concept at all. Yeah, and the concept that like Kenny Omega is not involved in this wrestling when he's openly talking about how the women's division needs to be featured more on the network or on their television product and has had these mixed matches that he try he wants to try to get involved in the promotion and is known for every one of these females either are coming from Ice Blue or DDT from what I've looked up for the most part like saying that he has no involvement in this when he is I mean, it's basically a when it's been said since the beginning, when the, <laughs> when they had the first press conference, him and Brandy. Well, we're lying because yeah. you love Kenny Omega. <laughs> yeah, it's like Fuck. this is this has nothing to do with Kenny Omega as far as an in-ring performer. Um, maybe just not the best choice for your women's division at the moment. And also, it's a booking committee. It's like him, the Bucks, and Cody and Tony Khan, right? So they all yeah. have their hands in this crap as far as who they bring in. So, like, to say that he has no zero involvement in the women's division, that's, uh, I don't know, man. Go back to the drawing board with that to try to defend Maki and, and some of the stuff that we saw on this show. I, it's this, you can like AEW and not like everything on the show. Like, I like NXT. I don't like everything on the show. I like New Japan. I don't like everything on their shows. I could definitely do without, like, 
all the multi-man matches that they have and <laughs> uh, like non-DQ finishes that New Japan has. There's things that you can dislike about every wrestling show, and it's completely okay for people, as long as they're not taking it too far, to dislike something on a show or dislike a person or think that they're not very good in the ring. So that's kind of where Maki falls on this. I was excited yeah, to and- see her because of like the way she came in on Twitter where she's like, fuck you bitches, I'm coming to AEW with a bird. I was like, okay, I don't know anything about this person, but I'm interested. Well, you know, two weeks have passed, two or three weeks have passed, and I, I don't I don't necessarily care about this wrestler on this product. Yeah, uh, and not only that, I'm, I'm sorry, but you, you, if you think that, like I do, if you think that Sheeta is getting stale or there's certain, you know, wrestlers coming – you know, female wrestlers coming from Japan that you're just not a fan of, but you like, you, you have no issues really with the Oshirai or Asuka or had problems with Akari Sane or Riho that quit trying to lump me into something because I'm looking at the wrestling quality that has nothing to fucking do with them being a female Japanese wrestler. I'm sorry. It's just amateur shit on a fucking television program. That's supposed to be the second biggest wrestling organization in the U.S. and probably, what, third after New Japan in the world? Maybe beating it for popularity? Yeah, and, and the, like, make us care about it. Like, Maki was just thrown into the damn match. That's the other thing, is, like, if you're a I fan love of your Krabby, idea with the packages. Especially since some of this was on fucking YouTube. Why didn't they put packages for each person? And to me, that that's almost... that's bad for the wrestlers because how are they supposed to work like if you're supposed to come in and work as a heel but the crowd doesn't know dick all about you other than you're a yoshi wrestler um <laughs> how are you supposed to get yourself over as a heel i mean there's names that they brought in the, like aja kong for instance you probably don't need a video package on i mean she's she's a legend right hall of famer if you're throwing her in like cauliflower alley or uh, in Japan, anywhere, I think you would consider her a Hall of Famer. Maybe she doesn't need a video package, but some of these other cats, like, if I don't know who you are, I'm not necessarily going to go out of my way to YouTube and find every match you've ever had and try to connect the dots on what your previous feuds may have been and why I should care about you. And I wouldn't do this with any product, whether it's NXT New Japan. Like, like I said, this would not get a pass for me on any any level in any promotion. Well, I guess, you know, I don't know. Next time, maybe I'll just take my hands and put them over my eyes, but that's how I feel. And uh, we'll probably talk more about it once we get to the uh, women's uh, world championship match. But let's get to the first actual match on the card. Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson went against the inner circle, Chris Jericho and MJF with Wardlow in their corner for the AEW World Tag Team Champions. Now, basically going into this, Young Bucks are mad uh, because the inner circle poured ketchup all over their dad's face and hands and smacked him against pictures of them uh, doing their poses backstage. I'm just kidding. This was actually this was a pretty good match. You know, it seemed rushed, but it was 17 minutes and 50 seconds, so almost 18 minutes long. Uh, but it did seem like it went by pretty quickly. Much more standard, not as much, um, you know, it, it wasn't as, as crazy of a Young Bucks match. They definitely kept the pace with MJF and Chris Jericho, which I I wish people would give the, the Bucks more credit on that, is that if it's an FTR or a situation like this, 
they will change their styles but not compromise it but work with the styles of the others but if they go against someone like an adam page and a kenny or a private party it's just balls to the wall the whole entire time i think they do that very very well as a tag team uh this was no different uh the young bucks would end up winning um getting the pin over jericho and we'll just go into the uh the fact that they said that they were going to have a war room council afterwards in an interview later on the pay-per-view. Chris Jericho said that where they're going to reflect on the future, of the inner circle, but we'll come back to that because that was probably one of the bigger things that happened this week. But, uh, you know, MJF both at both Chris losing. And then afterwards was not happy with the loss itself and seemed like he was staring Chris Jericho down, uh, like he wanted to kill him. So, uh, pretty good stuff. Very weird to start off with this match, and very weird to have this right before the tag team battle royal. But uh, Chris, what'd you think? I thought it was a pretty good. I mean, as far as where it was placed on the card, I thought it was a pretty good match to start the show off with, and to me, was one of the better matches of the night, if not like the second best match. Or if you're just considering just straight in ring match, this was probably my favorite. The my second my my favorite favorite of this entire thing is the Sting match, which we get into a little bit later. And as far as cinematic matches go, it's probably one of my favorites I've seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought this was a really really good match. Is Matt Jackson the Shawn Michaels of the scenario? Because the more and more I watch of the Young Bucks, it's like Matt Jackson carries a fuck ton of these matches. Nick's supposed to do the pretty things. Matt does a blunt of the work, it seems. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> that I mean, that's how I see it. And we even saw that in the singles match we'll get into uh, when we get into Wednesday show. But this was a really good opening match. It, I mean, we knew they weren't dropping the titles to the inner circle. Like, I didn't think that was necessarily happening. Um, there's just There was some stuff going into the storyline where we have unresolved stuff with uh, the Good Brothers, where they're kind of friends. Um, but we haven't gotten any resolution with that. We don't know what's going on with Kenny or Cody. And this match kind of just came out of nowhere because they gave Jericho a streak and they want to break up the inner circle. I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass because I can't remember if it was on the observer or I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but someone brought up the fact that, you know, everyone in dark order basically turned babyface when Brody passed away. So they lost like 10 potential heels. So obviously they're going to have a lot of baby face and heel turns in the next few weeks, which is seems like that's happening. Uh, so I'll give that a little bit of a pass. But I thought the match itself was really good, man. It's one of my favorite things on the show. Yeah. Uh, bell to bell, I, I would have to agree with you. Um, and, you know, this would uh, kind of go into the next match. We had a battle royal uh, designed to find out who's going to be the next um, number one contenders for the tag team championship match and 15 teams, 30 people total. We have the natural nightmares, QT Marshall and Dustin, and then Allen angels five and Preston Vance 10, uh, from the dark order. Santana Ortiz came out next Seidel brothers, uh, another dark order team of evil Uno and Stu Grayson, the gun club, Austin and Colton gun, uh, pretty, uh, picture, pretty Peter Avalon and Cesar Benoni. The Varsity Blondes, Griff Garrison, Brian Pillman Jr., Bear Country, Bear Boulder, Bear Brownson, uh, Jurassic Express, uh, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus, The Butcher and the Blade, uh, Private Party, 
SoCal in center, Christopher Daniels and Frank Kazarian. Death Triangle, Pac and Ray Phoenix. Another Dark Order team, Alex Reynolds and John Silver. So the Dark Order had the biggest advantage, and somehow they didn't fucking win. Um, I think I think that you know when me, you, and Tom talked about it, the two teams that were kind of thrown around were SoCal, uh, which they went over that this technically wasn't a loss against them because it was supposed to be a singles tag match. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, SoCal is going to get eliminated because this kind of goes negates what they originally talked about. But Death Triangle was definitely, I, I, I believe Tom said that, and it made a lot of sense. Uh, it got down to pretty much uh, both members of Death Triangle, and then it was um, it was Jungle Boy and John Silver, I believe, and Death Triangle ended up winning. Just Jungle Boy, man, once again, really one of the all-stars in this match just... I, he's just a very convincing babyface. He's a very old-school-style babyface. He doesn't have to say much, and when he talks, he doesn't really have to, you know, he just has to be that, that golly-gosh-style babyface. But his in-ring work is fantastic, and there's a reason why a lot of people want to work with him and that he's usually pushed. If he doesn't win, he's one of the last guys to win sort of thing. But uh, we're going with Ray Phoenix and Pac, which is interesting. Pentagon's going to be kind of busy. Uh, it seems like with what happened on Dynamite between him and Cody, uh, but what that's one hell of a fucking tag team. I mean, Ray Phoenix and, and Neville Pac, two of the best. I say I would say arguably high flyers in a generation. So them against Young Bucks should be apeshit crazy, probably a spot fest, but it's probably going to be an awesome match. I would say, Chris. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think we all predicted Dark Order to win if SCU didn't win. Um, so far, our predictions on the show are 2-0 and as far as <laughs> what we did on the prediction show. Uh, it, stars of this match, Jungle Boy for sure. Uh, John Silver, I thought he looked great in this match. And uh, Ray Phoenix really, really stood out. So, And they've done a great job pushing Ray Phoenix the past, let's say, month or so as far as making him very convincing as, as far as the way he wins matches and, and how much effort he puts into the matches, basically not taking shit off anyone. It's, it's, uh, it's really good to see him and Pentagon both getting pushed to the level that I think they're, they should be pushed at. And this dark triangle kind of revived them for me as far as a group goes. The now the question is that I just to step in real quick. It's elevating Pentagon and Phoenix, do you think it's decreasing Pac by any chance? No, I mean, I don't think so. They've gave Pac some meaningful wins, but he also is still doing, isn't he still doing like two weeks on, two weeks off kind of thing and going back home? Cause like, I'm not be, sure. Because you'll see him, he'll be there, and, and, and they've gave him some meaningful wins, and he's hitting big moves and stuff. I mean, the thing with, I think once you get into this Young Bucks tag team, you can flesh him out a little bit more. It's just, you know, it, I don't even remember who he got eliminated by, if I'm being completely honest. Jungle Boy, I think. Yeah, so it, it, at least he didn't get eliminated by, like, a member of the gun club, right? <laughs> um, oh, that was another thing that happened. So, uh, basically... You know, even though they're quote unquote part of the same team of the uh, Nightmare Family, 
QT Marshall went and eliminated Austin Gunn, and Dustin got mad at him, so QT eliminated himself and told Dustin to go fuck himself and walked off. Why isn't Dustin Rhodes just a singles wrestler, just big as hell and just by himself? Well, I mean, I guess that's what they're doing. And and this is, to me, this is perfectly acceptable and a good way to start like a low to mid card feud, right? With what they're doing with QT. QT. And I'm glad they followed up on it um, on Wednesday Dynamite because I thought that was a cool, like as far as building things out of a battle royal, that was like a cool way to set up their feud going forward. Um, and I also like that Dustin just didn't just immediately get dumped right after. Because usually when something happens like that in WWE, that you know that guy's going out like immediately, like two seconds later. But he kind of st- uh, stayed in there for a bit after that. Um, that I mean, to me, that's a really good mid card feud. Low mid card feud. They're gonna probably do that on Dark, I would assume. I I have no problem with it. I thought that was that was cool. This match was good. It was just. Uh, they took that timer really seriously, whereas WWE will sandbag the timer so that everyone can get their spots in. So I, I think that's probably why this match felt as rushed as it did, because you had just had so many teams and so many dudes in there trying to do tag team moves with two minutes. <laughs> and uh, I think I think one of the, the bigger uh, botches that a lot of people have gone back on because of the speed of everything, they had this spot where um, Evil Uno was on the apron, and Luchasaurus grabbed uh, Marco's stunt and tossed him out to do essentially a Hurricane Rana. Thank God Marco didn't get hurt because Evil Uno didn't catch him correctly, just dropped on his fucking head, and then still projected himself into the post as if he got thrown in there by Marco's stunt. It was pretty uh, – it was uh, interesting. <laughs> Those situations where I'm like, switch the fucking cameras. Like, why, why are you watching that? God. We're live, pal, as JR would say. <laughs> and um, as JR would say, he was like, God damn it. Stupid fuck. <laughs> fuck was that? Marco Stunt. Why is Marco Stunt even. Can we, can we get past the Marco Stunt with Jurassic. Like, Jurassic Express? Can we just get the Jungle Boy by himself and just I, have Marco Stunt and Luchasaurus as a fucking tag team if they want to do that? I mean, I don't have a problem with them as a tag team necessarily, but the. It's like they feel inclined to have to involve Marco's stunt in every one of their matches, and sometimes a match doesn't need that. And it's also like AEW is very lenient with their disqualifications and rules in general, and Marco's stunt is always the part of the match where you're like, well, the ref didn't see that. I mean, technically, the heels are getting fucked over here. Like, uh, It would be yeah. like if Xavier Woods interfered in every Usos match <laughs> when it was Biggie and Kofi as a, a tag team champions to me. Like, there's that part of it where it's like, well, they're supposed to be the good guys. Why is Marco Stunt getting involved? And there's only so many ways you can set that up where it's like, well, well, they, you know, they antagonized him first before you're like, I don't give a shit. And I'm kind of there with the Marco Stunt part of this uh, tag team. Yeah, I, I think he's just wonderful. Um, I'm hoping that eventually they get uh, Spike Dudley to come out of retirement and just beat the living shit out of him on television. But I like Marco. He's great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm a little higher on Marco Stunt than, than other people. Like, he doesn't necessarily make me hate everything about AEW or anything like that. It's just 
you have Luchasaurus and, and Jungle Boy and you want people to take them seriously, I don't necessarily need him tossed into the psychology of their matches. If he just wants to be there as a mascot or if he wants to go do something on a different product like AEW Dark, then fine. Like I, I don't have a huge problem against Marco's stunt. It's just they should make up a storyline in which Marco, his brother, his big brother, he talks about, and his big brother ends up coming there, and it's Carrot Top, and they, he's he's his manager, and then Carrot Top can do cocaine right before a match, and then come out with wacky equipment, and then he's only doing hardcore matches. And Marco Stunt can do his one Hurricane Rana, and it will just be great, and it will only be on Dark. That's it. Is, it's, 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 is Carrot Top still, like, incredibly jacked? Remember he got, like, really, <laughs> really That's built there assuming. for a while? Yeah, you uh, know, steroids and cocaine are a hell of a fucking uh, thing to combine. He would rip Marco Stunt apart. <laughs> not if they're brothers. Not if they're brothers, man. Bring the whole yeah. stunt family and let Brian Alvarez beat the shit out of all of them. How about that? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's <laughs> that's true. Let Brian Alvarez super kick his dad again. Um, Just don't yeah. put ketchup on him afterwards. Yes. Oh man. I. I all right. Let's talk about this before we move on because I didn't talk about the last match. Papa Buck doesn't he look like the lead singer of every terrible. Uh, cover band you've ever seen at a oh shitty my bar. God, <laughs> it looks like such a yuppie. Jesus Christ! Like, can't you see this dude doing a very, very bad job at singing "Don't Stop Believing"? <laughs> like, <laughs> I snorted. Oh God! Uh, All right, well, Chris, we need to be serious because we're about to get into a very serious match next. Uh, because the AEW Women's World Championship was on the line while Kiroshita was able to get on with the grudge that she's had between her and Ryo uh, uh, Mizunami uh, that's been going on for years over in DDT and whoever fucking cares. And they had a 15-minute match, some of the best chops I've ever seen in the industry, uh, along with Walter and... uh, Great people like Walter, probably up there. Uh, did I mention Walter? Um, but yeah, just a 15 minutes match to put Hikiroshita over and have her have a win over her old rival that no one gives a shit about. I've already fucking talked about this. I'm over it. I don't like it because it makes me dislike Hikiroshita, but she's not bad in the ring. I'm sick of her fucking chair spot on the outside. I will say that. Maybe save that for the pay-per-views. Maybe do something different off it, like, you know, make it a little bit flashier, maybe Hurricane Rana or some shit. But uh, I need someone to take that belt if I'm going to give a shit about this women's title, uh, to be all on, to be honest with you. But um, Ryo Mizunami, we'll miss you now that you're going back to Japan. Uh, you did amazing stuff over here um, in AEW. So passing it to you. I sound like such a hater. I'm going to get some bad comments on Twitter. Well, all right, here. Let me. I'll start it out. This match got good. Towards towards, let's say the the six minute mark of this match, it actually turned into a wrestling match, and I didn't dislike it. Like once they got the flow going, I thought this was a decent match. Now the thing that I hate about it is one, like I said, I, I have no background on the majority of these wrestlers and why this feud should matter. They gave me a quick segment right before the match happened. To try to explain that, you know, basically she was told she would never beat 
her opponent in a hundred years. That that's the story leading into the match. I'm like, you guys should have built this up a little better. Uh, but man, the beginning of this match, the mime shit where you're doing the fake rope pull and, and the chops in the corner, which I, I compared to patty cake. Cause it literally looked like she was playing patty cake on Sheeta's boobs. <laughs> and I'm not even exaggerating. Like go back and watch it. This is not just me being an asshole. Like go back and watch the chops. They're terrible. Um, but once the flow got going at the match, it was a decent match. The problem is like, I didn't care <laughs> at all. Because, like, I don't feel sympathetic for Sheeta. You've done nothing really to make me care about her as the women's champion. Um, she's not even on the product to a week-to-week basis a lot of times. And she's just facing a random person I don't know anything about. You didn't do a good enough job telling me why I should care about that person. So it's going to make me very hard to care about this match, especially if there's ridiculous shit at the beginning that I'm going to hate. That's kind of where I fell on this match. I was going to bury this way harder... But it's not even, I mean, there's so many other people that have given scathing reviews to this. And in comparison to what happens on Wednesday night, it's like, <laughs> it's not even worth. Pick your battles. Yeah, it's not even worth me uh, having a visceral hate in the grand scheme of things now that I'm looking back on last week as a whole. Well, you mentioned, you know, a match in which, you know, you want to know why you should care about it. And I think that the next match actually summed that up much better. It's probably the one that you should care about the most. Because next up we had Miro and Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford going against the best friends, Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor with Jim Cornette in their corner. Wait, that's a, that's a misprint. Okay, never mind. But uh, yeah, tag team grudge match of the ages. Um, this was less than eight minutes long. I mean, they got they got the win pretty quickly, or I should say Miro got the win pretty quickly. And as we saw on Dynamite, this is not ending. Chuck Taylor is calling uh, Miro out again for a hardcore match, surrounded by arcade units around the ring. And if he loses, he has to be the permanent butler for Miro. So um, I don't remember this match at all, Chris. Can you can you uh, tune me in on what the hell happened? Because I think I kind of took a brain break. Uh, right then and there after that women's match. Miro looked like a hundred bucks. They obviously were pushing him to be the monster in the match. He was a about to get his ass kicked by Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy tosses Orange Cassidy or not Orange Cassidy. Miro tosses Orange Cassidy into uh, his partner who Kip and that hits Penelope. They both go out on the floor and that sets up the finish. So they basically protected Orange Cassidy the best they could. Um, and tried to make Miro look like a monster. And I'm assuming, you know, I don't think Chuck Taylor is going to be Miro's butler forever. So this is just setting up with, like, you don't care about Penelope, and you keep putting her in danger, and then that's a feud. Miro squashes the dude, and we go forward from there. Because that seems to be where they're going, which is what everyone wanted, was to end this shit. So, <laughs> so, so Kit probably will cause a match. But it's crazy that he doesn't think that, you know, Miro you know, from what you're saying, if that's the route they go, that Miro doesn't care about Penelope because somehow Miro's the one call, calling out Jim Cornette about all this stuff instead of Kip Sabian. So that's good. That's good. It's good to have a giant monster as your, uh, your, your, your buddy. Yeah. I mean, well, and Miro is very, very opinionative online in general. <laughs> if you follow his Twitter. Yeah. He so. said that uh, Dave Metzler should die and that wrestling will be better afterwards. 
<laughs> uh, I'm more surprised that he didn't go after people so hard on the Lana angle because there was a time there where she was talking about wanting to quit and how depressed she was on people being an asshole to her on Instagram during the Nia Jack stuff. Uh, maybe he just didn't go after her because she was in WWE getting punished in a storyline anyways because of him. But yeah, I, I, AEW, I think they're just going to completely separate that altogether, hopefully, with this Jim Cornette stuff. Because otherwise, like, what are you going to do? Make Penelope Ford Miro's girlfriend coming <laughs> out of this? It's... I, but, you know what? It... I, I have no problem with what he said uh, in going after Jim Cornette. You know, like if if you want to go that route, the, the problem is now he's going to have to do with deal with like two months of bullshit mm-hmm. uh, from Jim Cornette. And hey, uh, it was the corny coincidental, fans. but um, it was coincidental, but it was nice to do that right before Jim opened up his uh, his his store again today. <laughs> so uh, that was planned and, uh, you know, just random that that happened. But uh. Let's put more money in his pocket, friend, and uh, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. I'll get a new Mickey Mouse shirt. Uh, from, I mean, if from I don't know, man, anyone feeding with Jim Cornette and Jim Cornette's fans, you should just look at it. I'm not going to say that they're like Trump supporters, but like, look at what happened at Capitol Hill. Right. People that really love something and feel a certain way are going to double down on it. So having these conversations with Jim Cornette, like maybe you just go the Kevin, Kevin Steen or Kevin Owens route where you just disregard Jim Cornette as a person altogether. Yeah. I don't know if there's any cult members listening, go after him, go after him. <laughs> Even though a bunch of you are douchebags on a fucking Facebook page. Anyways, it's just that. so, I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. Like someone came out and said like, look, you shouldn't personally attack someone like this. Like what you called this person's very shitty. You wouldn't like it if I called your daughter that essentially is what Miro is getting at, which for those that don't know, if you're listening to this, like Jim Cornette didn't directly say, but insinuated that Penelope Ford was a slut. Right. Well, he Um, called her Penelope Pitstop. And then he said, Kip Sabian looks like a high schooler with his slutty girlfriend. Uh, and Miro took exception to that, <laughs> like the Michael Jordan meme goes. <laughs> um, when you get, when it comes to stuff like that, it's like you know th- that's that's outside of their wrestling. If you hate their wrestling matches, that's fine. But you're now you're. I know it's a character, but not everyone's going to take it that way. And uh, Penelope Ford, man, that tweet that she put out in response to some of these Cornette fans was pretty damning. Well, you know, people are into what he's into. I don't think that that should be something to be giving shit about, but uh, they'll 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 figure it out. I think that mean you might be on opposite sides of the spectrum with all this, but uh, Miro's relevant now. That's good. Yeah, I mean, like I, to me, it's Cornette. Like saying Cornette's gonna say something fucked up is like saying grass is green, <laughs> which is what <laughs> I like, which is what I posted on Twitter. I mean, like Cornette says things that offends people, like if you look at the shitty things he said about like the things he said about Kenny Omega is way worse than what he said about Penelope Ford. <laughs> you, yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, if you're expecting something different from Jim Cornette and this is what got you, I mean, I think the, I think the big difference is it shows that people actually still care about Miro. So hopefully they could build him out of this. If anything, it helped Miro. 
but he's not going to be a baby face on your TV product. So that, I don't know, that kind of just cancels out, I guess. Well, since I don't really give a fuck about Miro anymore, let's move on to the next match. We had Hangman, um, Adam Page going against Big Money, Matt Hardy. Winner uh, receives the loser's two, 2021 first quarter earnings in a big money match. Uh, almost 15 minutes. Uh, I thought it was a good match. And, I mean, I like him with the the uh, Dark Order. I love the fucking promo with him with the lawnmower uh, with the Dark Order. And the only one who couldn't go on the uh, lawnmower was Alan Angels, Atlanta's own Alan Angels. Um because of the uh, the amount of weight that's allowed to go on it, but uh, all the other members jumped on and they rode off into the night. Uh, you know, Adam Cole, or not Adam Cole, Bebe, but uh, Adam just he's a great wrestler, man. And this wasn't, I mean, this wasn't a big feud for him. I think that we need to start getting him more towards the title picture again. But um, you know, pretty good stop. Matt Hardy's a damn good person to bounce off of. And what happened is what I thought would happen. You know, Matt Hardy lost. He put over Adam Page. I just still think that this, the stipulation was stupid, um, receiving the 2021 first quarter earnings. And I got to say, I'm assuming Adam Page, that, that's that's good for him because I think that he sells a lot of merch. But I'm assuming Matt Hardy might sell a little bit more. So seems like he made out um, fairly well with that whole entire thing. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> I have to agree with you. I mean, if you're going to do a money match to me, you got to have a bag of money hanging from the ring or something, or like, I don't know. I need the visual importance of what you're going for. At least they paid it off in the promo. You know, Adam Page, you got to buy a lawnmower, saddles, six bottles of whiskey, you know, things you buy with Matt Hardy's money. Um, I do. If you guys haven't seen, go and look at the tweets from Rebby where fans are like, oh, man, Rebel's going to be so pissed. He just lost all this money. <laughs> and her responses in kayfabe were pretty hilarious. Um, this was a good match, man. I mean, it wasn't anything incredibly special. I would say your average WWE style pay-per-view match. I do like the storyline with Adam Page, though, and I'm glad it's. We're moving along, right? It's over. And Matt Hardy is now recruiting people to take on, uh, God, whatever Brody Lee's group's name with the Dark Order. The Dark, Dark Order. All right, next match. Uh, pretty damn good match for TNT uh, AW uh, Championship. Uh, basically... Or, or they would face, I'm sorry, the AEW TNT Championship. We had Scorpio Sky, Cody Rhodes, Penta, Lance Archer, Max Caster, and the secret opponent, and I think I might have called this or, or said that it could be, Ethan Page, who has been away from Impact. Very strange situation and all that because his him leaving Impact was not good. He actually, speaking about Jim Cornette, gets shit on for that whole entire last match with the karate man where he had to fight himself he didn't want to do that that was a character he made on youtube uh they they told him he had to take that character and make that his last match he was really pissed off he did it in the green screen and they made it the worst i think it was basically them saying fuck you because apparently it also happened with him and gabe over at evolve ethan might be someone that's a little difficult to deal with but um Good showing for him. He didn't end up winning the match, but one of the spots that 
I mean, some in some regards kind of made it look a little bit bad, but it was a part where basically Lance Archer was just on all fours uh, in the uh, ladder, and he then uh, took and powerbombed, I believe it was uh, Max Caster on top of it, but it took a while, and Lance was just literally standing there on all fours looking a little bit ridiculous for a while, but um, Ethan's a good wrestler, really sucks with the whole basketball game interruption with his promo and his match falling on Dynamite, but he's one of those heels that can still get heat in an industry where that doesn't happen. You know, you have your Adam Coles, your Jay Whites, uh, certain individuals, Roman Reigns, obviously, that people still dislike, and uh, Ethan still does that very well in a company that has people like FTR and MJF and, and certain others, so I thought it was a pretty good signing. It was not the big signing, and we'll get to that next, um, but, you know, uh, pretty damn good ladder match, a lot of crazy spots. Definitely having Penta and Cody go after each other a lot, um, setting up some stuff in the future. And it would end up with Cody and Scorpio Sky on the ladder. Scorpio knocked Cody off and would end up winning. And just to lose to Darby Allen, though. Spoiler warning! But uh, still, good stuff. I think everyone looked pretty pretty good in this. Uh, what do you think about this, Chris? I like the match overall. Uh, Ethan Page, you know, he's I don't know that he's worked with a lot of these guys before, so his timing was a little off. The scariest thing in the entire match um, was he hit, I can't remember what move he hit, but he hits a move on Scorpio Sky, and Scorpio Sky hits the very, very, like the foot of the ladder with the side of his head, and you can see it Oof. on dynamite. Um, he has just like a giant bruise and contusion on his head wrestling in his match. <laughs> on dynamite there was a lot of sloppy stuff in this match uh i i mean if you're trying to push lance archer just like why didn't you just have him fucking win the thing i guess to some extent i don't know if you're gonna have him feud with sting anyways why did he not just fucking win don't have a don't have an answer for you on that man uh but I'm glad Scorpio Sky won, but obviously that's going in another direction altogether. Uh, should we talk about the opponent that he lost to and his match next? Yeah, sounds good, man. Probably my favorite match on the card, even though it was technically not a match. Uh, and I want to say my favorite cinematic match. Uh, and also shows Warner Brothers that you can do a Batman and Robin fight scene and it doesn't look fucking stupid. Because we had Darby Allen and Sting going against Team Taz, Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks. Um, I think the biggest thing that was not a good decision was to have commentary. Uh, it wasn't as bad as when Randy Orton went against uh, fucking Bray Wyatt in that Inferno match. And you had Todd Phillips like whispering most of the time like, I don't know what's going to happen, blah, 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 blah. Like, it just – some of these – type of things you don't need fucking commentary it just kind of throws you off especially if you're going to do background music which honestly i would rather have the commentary than a fucking soundtrack so it kind of comes off like a match but they did a lot of cool stuff darby allen actually uh did a, did a majority of the directing using his drones to do a lot of shots and just a lot of great fights one of the coolest and probably one of the most aggressive scenes was seeing darby allen get tossed from Hobbs and Cage through a framed, like, um, 
a framed uh, window pane with a bunch of glass and stuff like that. It just looked like it annihilated him. Sting looked great in this. Um, they had a lot of different. I mean, it really looked like Batman and Robin taking on a bunch of like thugs, with Brian Cage being like Bane and it or something like that. But uh, Darby and and and, and Sting won, getting the pin over Ricky, which is exactly what I thought would happen. To Taz Dismay, who was on commentary. And uh, it seems like they're splitting up the two as of right now to do some separate stuff, which is good because Darby got a damn good rub from Sting and they can always go back to that. And like I said, for a cinematic match, this is one of the best ones I've seen done. Um, I, I'll say it. I think I liked it more than the AJ Undertaker match. I don't care. Come at me. This really does prove, though, which is kind of sad, seeing both of those matches. Sting and Undertaker, if they really wanted to do that in a cinematic match, they could have had a really fucking awesome one. But, you know, teach their own and, uh, case da da whatever. What do you think about it, Chris? Yeah, I thought this yeah. match was awesome. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I love, you know, Ricky Starks being the classic heel and telling Sting he's not a man without that bat. And then Sting just fucking throws the thing like two stories up, which they eventually get to that. Um, Darby tossing him the bat that Sting originally lost to take on all of Taz's goons. The the window pane scene, the big elbow spot from Darby. Um, one of the coolest things I remember from the match is Darby kind of scales like a pillar and does a coffin drop on the Rick and, Ricky Starks at one point. Like he's fucking Spider-Man, basically. Fucking awesome. It was pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in this match, and I even liked the... Uh, the intro to the match with Darby skateboarding kind of down the street and Sting driving a very, very old Nissan pickup truck, I think it was, <laughs> which is pretty funny, uh, especially because Taz on commentary is like, this guy's made like a million dollars. Why is he Why is he driving it such should, a shitty car? <laughs> they should have called up Jerry Lawler and borrowed his Batmobile. I mean, it would have been perfect for this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you definitely can see the comparisons of the Batman and Robin thing. They did it, it, it does have that 1980 or 1989 Tim Burton kind of feel to the entire production of this. Uh, obviously, Robin's not in that, but if you were going going for that kind of style and, and art, I, I mean, I liked it. Like I said, um, I don't know that I would say I liked it more than the Boneyard match, but uh, I, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. There's been a lot of these. This is this is up there as I would put this in the good category, and we don't have very many of those out of these <laughs> cinematic matches on the no. show. No, we do not. All right, well, next, uh, the big announcement of who our new wrestler was that was coming in that was going to change the landscape and lots of hype, lots of hype, lots, lots of hype. And I don't think it did any favors for him. Uh, this is someone that you predicted a bunch. I thought he was still under contract. I was very flabbergasted, actually, to find out that Christian Cage was the new recruit. Uh, he came out, did some posing in the ring. Really should have cut, like, a promo to introduce him, but we haven't even gotten there yet. So Dynamite's first appearance, he didn't say anything. And um, if I think the biggest thing I take away from this is this didn't help Christian. This didn't help Big Show either. Kind of killed both their credibility or killed killed Big Show's credibility a bit. And I just don't think they should have amped it up as much as they did. Because it's no offense to Christian, but I don't think he's at that level that people were thinking. And it doesn't have to be necessarily CM Punk, but 
I just don't think that Christian was the person we were all thinking about. Um, you know, I don't know what it would have been if it was Kurt Angle or if it was a lot of the other names that were out there. And uh, I like Christian a lot. I'm actually excited about him and Kenny. I think it's awesome that two years ago I was listening to Christian and Edge on their podcast talk about how they'd never come back in the ring and always answering Q&As from fans and saying, look, we know about we know about everything, but, you know, Christian with concussions and me with my stupid neck, it's not going to happen. And then you get all this advanced technology. Uh, Edge is able to repair his neck for the most part with surgery. Christian has been doing a lot of the similar things that Daniel Bryan did with uh, cry, cryogenical freezing and, and whatnot and enhancements. And they come back to the Royal Rumble. They have that great interaction. Uh, you know, Edge is going against what looks like the champion Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Maybe it'll be a three-way, maybe it won't. And Christian looks like he's going to be going against Kenny Omega for the AEW championship. I don't think either men's going to win that those those belts. But, you know, for everyone going, why is Christian cutting in line? I don't give a fuck. Even if this is just setting up something for the beginning, that is, to me, a marquee match. I do love Christian. I think he's great on the mic. He's really built himself outside of the WWE and then came in and, and won the world title before he had to retire suddenly uh, with that feud with him and Randy Orton that went back and forth forever. But um, it just still, I think that when you, WandaVision's a good example, and I joked about it with you and Tom last week. If you say something big is coming, people are going to go as big as they can within their head and nothing's going to be able to satisfy some people. So like I said, love Christian. If he just showed up, I think that that would have been more impactful than if they announce it, you know, a week ahead of time and use the big show, his signing to come on the program just to set that up and really put, that word out there and, and, and get expectations high. So that was partially AEW's fault. It's partially the fans fault for not wanting, you know, or for wanting too much, I guess. But um, I don't know. What, what do you think? Do you, I think Christian's a good signing, but do you think that this elevation and, and Tony talking about how this is going to advance the company so much, uh, much like when he was talking about, you know, a while back about how things are about to change drastically. And then Pac came back. I think he overhyped it a little bit, Chris. Yeah, I mean, they put a lot of, I mean, they wanted, but you're overhyping it for the pay-per-view, right? To get people to buy to watch um, and see who's going to show up. I just thought whoever they brought in was going to be part of the ladder match. That was the uh, more of the thing that threw me off. Um, not No offense to Ethan Page, but it hey. just seemed like those two things were going to correspond with one another. As far as like people being mad that Christian is cutting in line, I mean, I don't think Kenny's dropping that title anytime soon. So it's not like Christian's going to step in and win the title. If anything, you know, Moxley's going to be gone. Maybe in two he'll months. beat him for the Impact title. Maybe he'll beat him for the Impact title. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, I don't like I said. I don't think Kenny is going to be dropping that belt anytime soon. And if anything, you know, with Moxley leaving in a couple months, it seems more like they're grooming Eddie Kingston for a run. Cause eventually he will have to take on Kenny Omega at some point during this feud that they've set up, but I'm assuming the good brothers will be first for them. And maybe that's why the good brothers dropped the titles. 
um, on Impact. So that seems kind of where they're going with that. And then get back to uh, Kenny Omega, the dastardly Kenny Omega. But, yeah, I don't have a big problem with Christian signing. I, I thought it was either going to be Christian, Kurt Angle, or I think I said Rob Van Dam. Because I didn't think it was going to yep. be a big enough name. Like, I didn't ever think it was going to be, like, Brock Lesnar or John Cena or CM Punk. Like I said, there's just too much that – if you're going to have those people on a pay-per-view, any of those guys – if you could bring them in, you would make a way, way, even a bigger deal than what they did about Christian um, signing. Like, you would want that shit promoted way ahead of time for your pay-per-view, I would think. And so with the other thing I was saying, isn't it amazing? A couple of years later, after doing a podcast, they're retired and just interviewing people, that both guys are in the two biggest organizations now again at their age, ready to go against the champions. You know, I, I think that that's pretty awesome, which I guess that's kind of their thing. Or is that Miz's thing? Whatever. <laughs> I didn't know, like, is Christian really known for his, like, work? Like, his in-ring work? Because, like, isn't isn't his entire gimmick right now outwork everyone? Does that mean outwork everyone to get yeah. back to the ring? I, I don't know. I, I I loved hearing about like uh, I think Alvarez was talking about him coming back where Christian um, you know he got cleared by all the doctors and he just set up a personal gym in his garage so he's basically Rocky uh, <laughs> like carrying wood and shit um, I, yeah it's um, this one's a little it's I'm excited because I like Christian. I don't know that I'm 100% sold on the gimmick that they're giving him. It is really, really cool that both of those guys are back in wrestling. I mean, that was my probably favorite moment for, from Royal Rumble this year when Christian and Edge were both in the ring together because it's just been so long. But, you know, we haven't really seen a great Edge match yet. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Uh, are you kidding me? We had the greatest match in the world, Chris, with Tim and Randy Orton. Uh, well, I guess if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> and by the way, didn't even win match of the year from WWE. Remember that. The, the greatest match of all time did not win match of the year. <laughs> nope. Um, um, uh, what was I going to oh, say? The one thing. It, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say it's just going to be interesting because, like, Christian's opponent is going to be. <laughs> Christian's going to get Kenny Omega, who I feel like will take Christian to a great match regardless, right? Who do you think is going to be have like the breakout match this year between him and Edge? Because, I mean, all signs are pointing towards Christian will actually have the better wrestling matches just because of the way they're booking Edge, which, I'm, like I said, I'm still not convinced that Daniel Bryan's not showing up in that Mania match. Me neither. Um, <laughs> so it seems like... Uh, Seems like Christian might come out on top here going to AEW. Probably not money-wise, but uh, at least as far as your in-ring quality. I mean, it's man, it's just crazy to think that these guys would ever show up again because what if you if anyone who's watched the Edge retirement speech specifically, like it was heartbreaking. Like you could tell the guy was done, and now he's back wrestling, and it's awesome. I just you know, hopefully Christian. Well, you will could be tell. When you listen to their show, you could tell that it was kind of nauseating, aggravating that how many times people would be like, well, since 
so-and-so is coming back from injury. Do you think that you can do it? And Edge and Christian, every time, would be like, guys, we'd love to come back to wrestle, but it's just not going to happen. And that was literally, like I said, two years ago. And now both of them are back wrestling. I just think that that's a, it's a good story, if you will. It does suck, though, that we won't see a return to Edge and Christian as a tag team. But also, that's I kind of want to throw in that both him and Big Show, they stated that, and I don't think they're lying about this, that there was no bad blood with them going to AEW, that this was a thing with money. They they showed him that they could make more, and Vince said, you know, go and do what you got to do. Like, you know, and apparently for Big Show, they, he told them that if he ever wants to come back, there will always be a home in WWE for the Big Show. So, you know, you can say what you want, but I do believe Christian and Big Show that – it was a situation of business. You know, Vince understood it, and that's where they went from. And I think that happens a lot, but people like to demonize Vince, which honestly, a lot of times it makes a lot of sense. But situations like this, I don't think this is, nope, you're negated. You'll never get into WWE Hall of Fame. You guys are never coming back. I think that they got offered something, and Vince said, go fucking take it like he's done many times in the past even with WCW back in the day. Yeah, it's it's either that or um, both of these guys are just playing nice, playing old school wrestling as far as moving along to a different company. Just because they there is the Hall of Fame looming for both of these guys at some point in the future, so maybe they don't want to burn all bridges with WWE. But like, if you look at how Christian and Big Show were booked when Christian would show up or when Big Show would show up on these Raw shows. Like, oh, yeah. They, yeah, like, they would have a lot of reason to not want to fucking work there. <laughs> Whether they're going to say it or not, that's a different story, but... <laughs> Big Show even said that his last straw was that whole entire thing that happened with Randy Orton, where he basically, they wanted him to sit down while Randy Orton emasculated him on television. So, he was like, yeah. all right, fuck this, I can wrestle still, this is stupid. I mean, he should have said that when they asked him to fucking do it, to be honest. <laughs> like, yep. what are you going to do? do? Tell the big show, like, like who's going to go after the big show if he's like, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. <laughs> like, that's what I would have done if I was the big show. Like, um, I, I, man, to me, there's more there to the story. And these guys are probably playing a little nice. Uh, and I don't necessarily know that this was just a money move. I'm sure they would have. At least with Christian, because they could have done something with him and Edge, and Edge is coming, going to be coming out of Mania if he was cleared to go back in the ring. I feel like they would have matched whatever AEW gave him. It's probably just the matter of he doesn't want to fucking be there because, I mean, they've never really booked Christian very well. His one, one memorable title run was only given to him because he was Edge's partner and Edge had to retire, and then he you know, beat Alberto uh, Del Rio and then immediately dropped it like a month later. So <laughs> to Randy and then kept on pressing him after losing a bunch of times uh, and finally beat him again to lose it again to Randy Orton shortly after that. So, yeah, I don't um, I think that definitely has something to do with it being considered a main eventer um, outside of it. But it's amazing that Christian finds his last name when he leaves WWE. <laughs> well, it's because WWE wants to get rid of all last names, so you can just call people like, <laughs> we're going to call you Cage now. Wait, what? All right. Um, the last match on the card, K 
Kenny Omega, John Moxley, AEW World Championship, an exploding barbed wire death match set up by Onita. Um, Kenny had Don Callis. This was almost uh, 26 minutes, the longest match on the card. And as far as a crazy, over-the-top, hardcore match, I thought they did a pretty damn good job. Uh, you know, they both got ripped to shreds. I think the – oh, God, the, the worst – Spot I would say is when John Moxley was on the apron with Kenny and did the double arm DDT his his uh, his version of it uh, off onto that cardboard with all that barbed wire and Kenny was able to get out no problem but Moxley was just fucking stuck in it bleeding out um, of several spots on his arms and legs and shit uh, I love the the tribute to Onita that that uh, uh, what should we call it Moxley had for the shirt that he had. I mean, this is a good match. And then we got shenanigans towards the end of it. Um, I mean, it makes sense. It is a hardcore match. So, yeah, you can use the good brothers. But it just started getting crazy. And then fucking Mox is getting destroyed by everyone. And uh, the count going on. And then after Kenny beats him, you know, the countdown's still going on. And they let us know, oh, by the way, we can't stop the explosion. Once it started, it just has to go. And it's like, what? How the fuck does that make any sense at all? So these guys, you know, Kane's destroying him, and then the Good Brothers are destroying him, and it's getting towards the end. And I think JR was like, what are these guys, stupid? Because they were still in the fucking ring. Well, they get out, they go leave laughing and stuff like that. Eddie Kingston, of all people, runs in. He knows his, his friend, even though he's had problems with them, is down in the ring, and there's about to be an explosion. So he jumps in the ring and goes to save him jumps on top of him and puts his, his arms over his face and ears and we get to the end of it and it was it was really literally it was a popcorn fart. It was not good. We had the we had the the the, the sparklers come out, a little bit of smoke and a combustion and that was it. And uh that's how we uh we went off the air. Uh Obviously, something malfunctioned. Kenny apparently was pissed when this happened in the back, raising hell about it, from what people had said, at least. The ones who got to the uh, dirt sheets, brother, brother. Um, which I don't blame him, because that's fucking embarrassing. I think the only thing that they could have done to save it on the spot, and hindsight's really easy to go back and, and, and say what they could have done, because they had a short amount of time, is maybe Kenny and Don Callis came out laughing, and just start pointing at them like they were trying to fuck with them. Uh, there's nothing that you can really do. ECW literally apologized. Paul Heyman apologized, and that was the last time they did an exploding barbed wire match because they had the same thing happen to them. So I wish that instead, you know, John Moxley cut a promo afterwards to the audience, blaming on Kenny. The blame was put on Kenny in the post-media uh, scrum. It was blamed on Kenny because, you know, trying to be in character with Tony. Um, probably should have just said, yeah, it fucked up. Shit happens, you know. But whatever. Put on the heel. I guess he gets the heat. That's whatever. It just would not. It would have been okay Wednesday night when they first cut the promo with Eddie and John Moxley. But we'll get there. Uh, instead, we had another explanation from Don Callis and Kenny Omega that just 60, 69 me, Don. Um, what do you think about this match? 
Chris. <laughs> 69 me. That was finally the funniest thing Kenny Omega's ever said in a promo, by the way. Um, no, uh, the match itself. So, all right, let me talk. I'll talk about the good first, and then I'll get into the bad, right? Because going into it, we knew these explosions weren't going to look like anything we've seen in Japan and, and what they were doing over there. At least in my opinion, I kind of knew it wasn't going to be that. So I didn't have high expectations for what this was going to be. What I didn't realize they were going to do is literally take the barbed wire off two sets of ropes. So they had openings. Well, no, what it was it just the ramp opening. I can't remember exactly, but basically they had an opening. The entire point of an exploding barbed wire match is it's something different than a cage match. It's supposed to keep both guys in the ring and also keep people out of the ring. So as a concept, they to me, that, that kind of broke it. But the good stuff in this match, I love the uh, callback to Onita, like you said, and the uh, with Moxley and, and kind of his gear and homage to Onita. I also liked the exploding barbed wire bat gimmick was pretty cool i thought that was nice the death rider spot like you said was just looked completely gnarly i liked moxley got color very early um and kind of wore it throughout the entire match he didn't do the gimmick that a lot of wrestlers do nowadays which is immediately wipe it all away he just kind of wore the crimson mask old school uh, i enjoyed that i mean the match itself the quality and stuff like kenny consistently going for um you know, his his dragon suplex that he is known for and finally catching Moxley with it was was pretty good. Um, I mean, good stuff from both Moxley and Omega. I think if you I think if you take away the explosion at the end, this is probably a really, really good match. It's better than their first hardcore match just in ring wise. The problem is, like, we get we get this kind of a fuck finish because there's interference, which, like I said, if it's an exploding barbed wire death match, there should be triggers on all sides of the ring where you can't get into the ring. So I kind of hated that. Um, the, the obviously the explosion at the end, the sparkler thing, I'm assuming that they were doing a dynamite thing where it was supposed to look like a powder keg where the sparklers die off and then the ring explodes. So there was a lot of fucked up there unless they were doing it on purpose. I know they're selling it like, hey, it was an accident whatever i'm not going to be a conspiracy theory guy obviously it didn't go well um and it unfortunately it made uh it made eddie kingston kind of look bad but it's did we we didn't even need to do the exploding part at the end of the match they changed the rules of what this match is going to be anyways they changed what they were going to do like originally they were just going to have barbed wire for the ropes and they were like no we're going to wrap the ropes in barbed wire and then they added the time limit thing where the ring is going to explode at the very end regardless. It would have almost been better to just not do the exploding thing, have the run in, and Eddie Kingston comes out to make the save to just get beat down in, or protect his friend or whatever. In the, in the kayfabe way, what type of organization are going to make a fucking explosion go off that they can't control? How does that make any sense whatsoever? That... Well, we can't handle it. At one point, this is going to blow. Well, I mean, so that's almost the problem with the counter, right? So, like, adding the counter to it becomes more of a problem. You could just have the ref be like, okay, we need to go to the finish. We, you know, there's a minute left. And then call the guys out. And then both guys just need to know they're going to the finish. Because, like, when you added the counter, that almost added... 
that almost bro- that broke kayfabe kind of more than anything because the commentators had to be like, well, it's gonna blow up no matter what. Um, if it's just unexpected, it it would have made a little bit more sense. But yes, I agree with you. And and there's a lot of things. I mean, these matches. People forget that the reason these matches were great is because you had people like Terry Funk and Onita in them, and it was great in-ring psychology as well as, you know, the explosive parts of the match. So as far as, like, what they did in the match ring-wise and the wrestling quality, I thought was really, really good. It's just uh, unfortunate that they had a, a, a dud for an ending. Yeah, and, like, I don't know. It's just uh, it's unfortunate. I also am glad, and and honestly, I would I wouldn't try to get people to watch this match specifically, because, but like, if I want to show my friend AEW that doesn't watch wrestling or used to watch wrestling, like I said, I wouldn't get them to watch an FMW styled fucking death match, but that would be really embarrassing if that's what they see at the end of it. it just makes uh, AEW as a whole look low rent, and. Um, you know, there's a reason why ECW did this once and never did it again because they had the same exact fucking problem. Um, just unfortunate. Uh, thought it was pretty decent pay-per-view. Uh, I well, I love, I like the, the the tag match. Battle Royale wasn't that bad. Um, I really loved the Sting and Darby match. I loved the heavy the World Championship match itself uh, and the ladder match, but there were a lot of like meh things to this pay-per-view yeah i have to agree with you i mean it in comparison to the other pay-per-views they've had this to me was the weakest and uh it's not just because of the explosives it's just like i said the entire show they seemed a little rushed probably my favorite thing was the sting cinematic match i thought they did a really good job there and if i had a follow-up match of things that i enjoyed or thought was really good would probably be the young bucks match but everything kind of in between was either just there or sloppy or rushed. Um, definitely not their best pay-per-view. All right, so we're building up to WrestleMania. So before we go into the Wednesday night stuff, I wanted to go into a couple highlights of Raw and SmackDown. Uh, Raw, I think the main thing that's happening on it, I don't care what's Randy Orton and fucking Bray Wyatt. That, that, to me... They ruined a good match with Randy Orton and AJ Styles with the stupid fucking Alexa Bliss stuff. So, whatever. That's what they're building to. Still want to know what the hell they're doing with AJ. Bobby Lashley is champion. Drew McIntyre is still, you know, viewing him, but gets in this confrontation with Sheamus backstage. They do a no DQ match. Uh, they do a spot in which Sheamus and um, Sheamus had one of the stairs. And Drew had the other one, and they collided together. And it really looked legit because the stairs, when it fell down, like the the front of it just fell right the fuck on Sheamus's head and just crushed it. So obviously that was supposed to happen because they stopped the match. And this looks like they're going to build up to the next pay-per-view. I still think that there is a good chance that it's going to be Sheamus and Drew at WrestleMania. Um, I don't know. I don't. Uh, maybe it will be Drew and Bobby Lashley, but they seem to keep on going on with this feud and right now they have a win on Drew's side, a no contest, possibly another match. I don't know. So there is that Bobby Lashley is champion. Didn't really do much on that besides telling Miz to go F himself. Who's saying that, you know, 
he he lost uh, one of the matches because of a you know countout, so he shouldn't have had to do the other match and was forced into it. So going along with some hijinks with that, and then SmackDown obviously it's coming down. It seems to Edge, Roman Reigns, and and Daniel Bryan. There is some interaction between them, and there's a rumor, just a rumor, Chris, but a cool concept that. If there is something that happens with Daniel Bryan and uh, Roman Reigns at Speed Bump or Fastlane or whatever the fuck it's called, uh, and maybe Edge tries to help but ends up screwing over Daniel Bryan, what if we were to have Daniel Bryan and Edge on night one, and then the winner goes against Roman Reigns on night two, kind of uh, Wrestle Kingdom style is what people are suggesting. I actually think that's a pretty cool idea. Or we could get a three-way, or it could just be Edge and Roman Reigns, but they are consistently keeping these three at odds. Great promo work back and forth between Daniel Bryan and Edge. You know, I, I really like what they're doing on SmackDown, like I always say. Most of the other stuff is there. Kind of abysmal. I mean, I'm looking forward to Bianca Belair against, um, against uh, Sasha, but I don't really care about Reginald at all and now Nia Jax is buying him suits so whatever um but basically that is my my raw and smackdown recap uh Chris what do you have to say this is building to WrestleMania Drew McIntyre and Sheamus you know we got Bobby Lashley and then obviously this whole entire what seems to be maybe a three-way um also other news Asuka because of a concussion that she got when she got her tooth knocked out accidentally by Shayna Baszler, she uh, received a concussion and might be out for WrestleMania. So that is something else that has been reported. But uh, what do you think? Um, I love the McIntyre-Sheamus stuff they've been doing so far. I thought they had a really, really good match. I feel like they're going to squash it at Fastlane because, it's to me, they're still going for McIntyre versus Lashley. And... I wouldn't be surprised if Drew McIntyre gets that win in front of the WrestleMania crowd that's going to be there in attendance. That's still my prediction for where, where they're going with this. Um, but I do enjoy watching Drew McIntyre and Sheamus, so maybe they'll go back to it after he wins the title uh, at Mania. But that, I mean, I'm still sticking with that prediction. The um, Oscar stuff is very unfortunate. I don't, I don't have any ideas. I mean, I guess they're going to... I guess, what do you do? Do you just hang that damn thing from the top of the ring and have a uh, ladder match for the women's title. Cause they're not going to have time to set up a tournament or anything. I would have, I know people are going to hate this for one of the halves of the reason, but I don't really care. But I mean, I would have Rhea Ripley and Charlotte um, in a rematch and the winner gets a championship. I don't know how the hell they can set it up, but that's what I would do. Because they're promoting Rhea right now because she's about to be introduced on the main product. So they keep on doing video packages. And Charlotte's opponent, now that Lacey got pregnant, she doesn't have her. I mean, who else on the fucking on Raw? Because Bailey's on SmackDown. She'd be someone else I put in the mix there. But they don't have a lot of choice on Raw. Naomi's not built up. She's in a fucking tag team with Lana. I think Nia Jax and Shayna are going to defend those titles. So they're out of it. It seems like her and Rhea, her, Rhea, and, and Asuka could be a great match, but if Asuka's out, maybe Rhea against Charlotte for the title, however they set it up. Yeah, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. And it'd be a, it'd be, it'd be a huge win for Rhea if they go that route, if she actually wins the damn thing at WrestleMania. 
Um, yeah, I, I either see them doing something like that, like we just said. They, I mean, they. The problem is, is we're running out of time, right? So, I guess Rhea would need to show up next Monday or tomorrow. Yeah, I guess that, that would have to be the next step is getting it reintroduced real quickly. Uh, either way, if Oscar's involved or not. Yeah, so that's uh, that sucks for Oscar though, and concussions are never never anything to you. You don't know how long you're going to be out when you get a concussion. I mean, it could be a week, two weeks, or it could be months, depending on what concussion syndrome. Where you fall in the concussion syndrome world, I guess. Uh, it's it, At least they seem like they're being way more safe about concussions in WWE, which is a good thing to see. Um, as far as, I, I guess, the, the SmackDown, I mean... It's it's a very good show. They're just kind of sticking with what what where they've been headed towards Mania. I didn't see any major changes there. Um, I I love. How do you I like that idea the, though? The, the uh, Wrestle was, Kingdom. I, yeah, I mean that that's actually great. I didn't think about that. So shout out to to uh, you and the internet wrestling community. That's a good way to get around it. But. Um, the problem is, is if you're going to have Edge and Daniel Bryan face each other in a singles match, they're both baby faces, and like the fans aren't going to want to see them lose. Either either yeah. one of them lose, especially headed into the big night of Mania for the title. So it, it, to me, it's it makes more sense to just do a three way. And also, it um we haven't have we seen Edge in just a straight no DQ match? Was it the greatest wrestling match of all time a no DQ match? I can't remember. I have no idea. I haven't watched it since I watched it. Okay, because I remember they filmed that. So that thing was recorded. This is going to be live in front of a bunch of people. So if you if you go the WWE roles, if you do a three-way match, you have no DQ. It gives Edge a little bit of time to maybe brawl, especially coming back from an injury, instead of just having a straight match against Daniel Bryan and then potentially a match against Roman Reigns. Um. So I, I could see it either way. I think it's a really cool idea. It's just there's question marks on, I mean, if Daniel Bryan was a heel, for instance, or was about to turn heel, it's just, I don't know that anyone wants to see those two baby faces, one of them lose to set up a match against Roman necessarily. But it's, uh, if set up differently, yeah, I think that would be pretty pretty damn cool. Either way, I'm looking forward to that match. And SmackDown has easily been, to me, the best WWE product, including NXT for the past couple months. Yep. As far as all around stuff goes. No, I agree. I definitely agree. And I'm liking a lot of the builds towards mania. We're going to have a lot of great matches. And I think this is the, like I said, it almost seems daunting, but I think this is the advantage of having technically four big wrestling nights between the two takeovers. And then also obviously the WrestleMania being the bigger ones. So we're going to see a lot of cool uh, matches or good matchups, I should say, uh, for those four nights. So it's just uh, I'm sure they're going to load up SmackDown, too, uh, since that's right between it. Maybe maybe uh, Orton will uh, have an exploding barbed wire death match with Bray Wyatt. God, <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck they do with that. Ugh, Jesus Christ. 
Well, Bo Dallas is not doing anything. Have him be the fiend because he can work better in the ring, and then Bray can just be his manager. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm trying to think back at the last Bray Wyatt thing I cared about in the ring. What, and What the fuck? Why would you go back to this when WrestleMania a couple of years ago with the dick snake, like <sighs> – Oh, I can't ever. I'm glad that they stopped using that right after WrestleMania. The dumb Viper that they had on the ramp, man, so bad. Yeah, probably because Randy probably came back and was like, "Hey, Vince, the snake on the ramp, it looks like a dick. <laughs> it does look like a dick. We'll make it bigger and throbbing." <laughs> why is uh speaking of Randy Orton? Why is he feuding with Soldier Boy on Twitter right now? Oh God, because Soldier talks shit about his profession, so he got mad. What I want, like someone said, can you believe a year ago the difference between Bobby Lashley and Randy Orton? What a year can do for people in WWE. A year ago, Bobby Lashley was in a feud against Miro that he was winning, but was still fucking terrible with Lana and having a divorce with her and all that terrible shit. A year later, he's the world champion. Last year, Randy Orton, we were all saying, you know, Randy's been doing shit for years, but he's finally fucking looking great. Him and Edge should be good at WrestleMania. And now he's going against Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania again. Like, what the fuck? Well, I mean, I, you just answered your own question with that one, because it's Bray Wyatt. Anyone they put with Bray Wyatt, it's like it fucking kills whatever they're doing. Like, I, I you know, Seth Rollins didn't necessarily have the Seth best Rollins? title run. Yeah, like, but he was still over and, like, considered a babyface until they put him in <laughs> that shitty match with Bray Wyatt. And it basically killed any steam that he had. I, I mean, like, every, even the, ta- like, one of Taker's worst WrestleMania matches against Bray Wyatt. Like, I, I don't know, it's, I don't know if it's, they don't know how to book the guy or what, but, like, we've talked about it in the past. It's like, when Finn Balor would do the demon thing, people would be like, Oh well, we want Finn Balor versus you know Bray Wyatt like because Mystics. And it's like no because that'll fuck. <laughs> anytime they do those kind of matches, for whatever reason, with the exception of maybe Kane and Undertaker, it it's always yep. terrible. Because it's not. I don't think it's good a lot of times to have a Mystic character against another Mystic character because they cancel each other out. They. You can take someone like Finn Balor, who's smaller in stature. You put the demon on him, and then he's he can go against whoever, you know. Like he might have a decent match against Brock Lesnar, you know, as a normal Finn Balor. But if he was a demon, he might have had more of a chance because of the mystique and stuff like that. But you know, him against the Fiend, it the Fiend beat Finn Balor, and that was actually one of the best times they used the Fiend because he went in there. That was his first match back. He kicked the shit out of Finn Balor and beat him really quickly. There was no demon. And then that took Finn off. And then it it's shortly after that when they started doing the red lights and having these longer drawn-out fucking boring-ass matches and doing it in cages with fucking mallets and shit. Oh, my God. And then it was just done. And then Vince probably overwrote and killed the funhouse until it wasn't fun anymore um, outside of his puppet. Good shit. Yeah, the uh, the also the addition of Alexa Bliss has done nothing to help this along. Uh, I <laughs> so, liked it at first, but no, it's not. It's killing it. I, I mean, is Alexa Bliss just not allow uh, like? 
if she is the female version of the fiend, why is she not destroying people? This is a former like three time women's champion. Is there a reason know. why she's not? I mean, I know she's had a match or a couple of matches, but why is she not having matches each week? Either as Alexa no Bliss, she scared the champion Oscar, who was on who beat Goldberg's undefeated streak, was scared of fucking Alexa Bliss and weird eyes. Yeah, Asuka, the the empress who spits green mist, was scared of a 13 year old um, who plays with magic. I guess I fuck I don't know. Sucks. <laughs> Could you imagine if, if if Great Muda went against Dan Spivy and got fucking scared of him? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. I, it's ridiculous, man. You're you're not wrong. I I don't know. Um, I, one thing before we move on from this, and uh, we'll wrap it up real quick. How bad was this damn Shane McMahon stuff they did on Raw? Does anyone it, want to see Shane get thrown? It threw a table from Braun Strowman at WrestleMania. Does anyone care about that? Why is Shane such a fucking junkie for for doing that? I mean, I loved it in certain aspects before in the past, but I don't want to see him get crippled on fucking television, and I just don't care about him and Braun. Stupid. I mean, not to be a dick, I mean, I don't want the guy to get crippled. I just don't want to see any Shane McMahon matches in general. (laughs) Like... Very few and far between are they good. The, the last good one was him and AJ. And before that, what the fuck was it? Him and Kurt Angle? That one where he got injured and Daniel Bryan went, went against Kevin Owens for and Sami Zayn for like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, Because technically he was a part of that match. Remember uh, when he was going to do the, uh, the Rob Van Dam move with the chair in the corner and fucking Roman speared him in that Survivor Series match and knocked him out? Like, yeah, that was fuck. He, man, he forgot, I, he forgot like 90% of his lines on this promo. And so you got like this very weird thing. Like if you've ever seen a, a high school play where someone forgets their lines. So the other character has to continuously feed them out of all people. Braun Strowman was trying to feed <laughs> Shane McMahon lines on this promo. Like also what the hell does this lead to? Is this just leading to Adam Pierce versus Shane McMahon? Like I don't know, I I know you need a lot of stuff for me. No, I I think it's I think it's it's leading to Shane versus Braun Strowman. Yeah, I, I all right, yeah maybe I don't know. It sucks either way. Does anyone care? Put that shit on the pre-show. Honestly, <laughs> I just think that someone needs to you know get with Shane and. I'm worried about how much mucus he has in the system because he's always like, <laughs> so Braun, um, we're going to have a cage match. You're going to throw me off the top of it through the announce table. I don't know, man. So much mucus. It's, the way you did that made me more? think of a... Uh... The way you just did that made me think of next Friday. Remember when he's talking about the, the big girl? He's like, she knows about all the little Debbie cakes before they come out, and she's like, "Little Debbie got a new snack cake coming out. It's gonna be better than a motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> you bite into it, and it's got glitter and shit. It all explodes in your mouth. <laughs> I love that whole trilogy. <laughs> oh man! Even yeah, the I, third one, even the Godfather three of them. 
How does uh, Shane McMahon get blown up cutting a promo? Like we all, like everyone always <laughs> jokes about him. <laughs> He's got so much mucus, man. We always joke. We always joke about him uh, getting blown up in the ring. <laughs> You know, turning turning lobster red like he does, but like this is the first time I've ever seen him get blown up cutting a promo. I mean, I respect him. He's got balls. Let's, but this is all gonna be some big ridiculous spot where Braun Strowman's gonna throw him through an announce table, essentially for WrestleMania. Here's an idea. Why don't you have Braun Strowman versus Keith Lee instead of this bullshit, or utilize <laughs> Alistair Black, like. Here's the thing. Pick actual wrestlers and put them in a wrestling match. Shane McMahon is not a professional wrestler. Yeah, he's basically a celebrity guest at this point. All right. Well, uh, let's move on. We got two things to cover before we get out of here. So that's terrifying. Um, AEW Dynamite. The return show after their pay-per-view. And, um, I mean... Seriously, uh, they they did what they could, I think, to give reasons for the explosion disaster or the lack thereof explosion disaster. But we'll get to that. Like I said, there was a really decent reasoning, and then there was an extra fucking live interview formed one that made it just go in a completely shit direction for me. Uh, but start off with an awesome match. Ray Phoenix against Matt Jackson. I mean, Matt Jackson is very impressive, like, with his wrestling, uh, grappling itself. Ray Phoenix, one of the best high flyers. We've seen Ray have an amazing match with his brother, uh, Nick, and I think he beat him in that, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he actually, he won. Um, and this is feeding into their tag match coming up. But uh, Ray Phoenix ended up winning. Uh, just, I mean... I'm trying to think of, like, certain things. I know there was a part where, where both uh, Nick Jackson accidentally got drop-kicked by Ray because Matt moved out of the way. So Matt got mad and then went out and just super-kicked the shit out of Pac, which I wouldn't do that if I was him. But uh, they were just – the kicks, the punches, everything was getting nasty between them. Um, I thought it was a damn good match, man, and I'm looking forward to this tag match. Uh Afterwards, uh, what did you think about the first match between Ray Phoenix and Matt Jackson? I thought it was a really, really good match. Some people are not going to like it because there are some spots like you know, the Canadian Destroyer that I think Ray popped right out of. Or there was one spot where he got super kicked and just nipped up right out of the super kick, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, if you're not into that stuff, if that breaks your disbelief, then you're probably not going to like this match that much. But for what I would expect out of these two guys, this was a great match. Good way to open the show. Uh, I'm excited for the tag match, especially throwing Pac and Pac in there. That's gonna be it's gonna be a damn good match. So I loved everything about this for the most part. But like I said, if uh, if you're not into spots or people getting up very quickly from devastating maneuvers, this might not be your cup of tea. And I can see why people would be apprehensive because of that too. Uh, but the way that these guys play it, how it's like adrenaline pumps them back up, I think they pull it off a lot of times, more so than not. But, yeah, thought it was a good opening match uh, and just a good start off for a singles match with two guys that we kind of think of as tag team wrestlers. So good stuff, what they're able to pull off. I'm assuming that next week 
Well, I don't know. They're not like WWE, but if this was WWE, next week would definitely be Pac versus Nick uh, Jackson in a singles match. So we'll have to wait and see see how that gets booked. It, yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense, too, because they did set up the uh, the outside stuff, so I could see them doing that. I don't have as big of a problem with it in AEW just because they don't do it that often. Yeah. So this, this should be fine. All right, so we got kind of an explanation from John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, and this looked, I don't know how many takes it took, it looked like they were chilling over at Moxley's house. Uh, they were in front of a table that had a, one of those cool ones that are new that have the fireplace in the middle. Um, and just, just talking, they looked like they had been drinking and they pressed record and they just went on. Uh, so first Kingston talked about covering his friend Moxley, expecting a big explosion. He goes back to a story from his life about fear of going to jail to compare it to the last time he got, you know, super scared only for nothing to happen. Uh, it was, he was in jail and like he heard the alarms going off and just gives him PTSD. He says the explosion was a taunt from Omega and that he never intended it, uh, to do it. And then him and Moxley kind of was like, no, I think he meant, meant for that to happen. He's like, ah, he meant for that to happen. Then he's an idiot. Um, and so then Moxley speaks and says that he fully intended to blow him up and things just backfired. He talks about the match and then makes a joke as he opens his jacket to show a shirt that says something to the effect of I competed in exploding barbar death match. And all I got was this lousy t-shirt that's going to sell by the way. Kingston and Mox banter back and forth, and then Mox tells Omega that he's only a flash. He's going to flash a weapon. He better use it. He takes a swig of a drink, and then he heads back to Daily Play Sample Theater, where the commentators take us to the break. Um, and they set up the match with Cody uh, going against Seth Gargis. But before we get there, uh, I thought they had really great chemistry. Uh, JR made a comment about it when they came back to them. And I, I forgot, he, he said that I love their, their uh, he didn't say chemistry, but it was some, something to that extent. But uh, yeah, I thought their, their banter back and forth was really good. It was very natural. It came off convincing. I knew it, it could be ridiculous like that. Oh, that's the reason why he did that, Eddie. But, you know, PTSD is a real thing. So it was a decent explanation uh, because he sold that even going, when Moxie started his promo, Kingston was still selling the fact that, that was going on. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I thought this was a better explanation than the one that Don Callis and Kenny tried to do later on uh, to embellish upon it. But um, good promo. They both are really good at promos. Who knew? Chris, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it was a great promo. Uh, best thing about the promo, obviously, was um, Eddie Kingston's DMX hoodie. That was the – no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, <laughs> I, I love the uh, impact joke. They're like, well, impact paid for the bomb, so it kind of makes sense it didn't work. <laughs> I also well, like Tommy the, Dreamer uh, got mad at that. I liked the Looney Tunes joke. Uh, he's like, did the bomb say Acme on the outside of it? Uh, I think, and I think that was um, John Moxley that said that. that. I mean, if if this would have if if it would have been anyone else besides Eddie Kingston in this position, I don't think they would have been able to promo their way out of this in that company, unless it was like Jake the Snake or Tully or something. But like somehow it made me just completely okay with that finish. Whatever it happened, we're moving along. I like the uh, the storyline so far. I enjoyed the promo, and uh, it was it, it's good that they're able to poke fun at themselves. Even Kenny Omega, who was apparently super pissed after that pay per view later on is able to try to turn chicken shit into chicken salad. 
Um, you know, you just got to pick, pick up the pieces and move along. And, uh, man, it's cool to see Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, uh, being back and forth, especially knowing, especially knowing Moxley is going to be gone in a couple months. Um, I'm assuming <laughs> being that he's having a kid. So it, it kind of positions Kingston, a very strong, uh, a strong atop the card, maybe for a main event match against Kenny Omega, which will be really entertaining in the future. About Eddie Kingston. And we all, I think know that he might not be the, He's convincing in the ring, and he's got great punches, but he's not the prettiest in the ring. I think that's a, a known concept. But do you think – and I'm not trying to compare him directly, too, but even though he was a heel and he's so good at being a ruthless heel, do you think he can turn it around and kind of be like a – almost like a New Yorker version of Dusty, like the everyman, like you know that type of concept? Do you think that he can actually pull that off, or is he always going to have that heel – that heelness to him that can always take him back to that position, basically. Do you think he can pull off being a babyface, is what I'm saying? I mean, in the same way as Moxley. I mean, Moxley is kind of an outlaw scumbag, honestly. I mean, he's not necessarily a your typical babyface, right? So if they're going to go with that mold, I, I don't know that he could do a dusty thing. Um, I don't – you know, people love Eddie Kingston, so it's it's hard to say. Maybe he could do that. Um, but, he's I mean, I don't – passion. That believability factor to me. Yeah, I mean, the best thing Eddie Kingston can do is just be Eddie Kingston, and whatever the storyline is, they'll just move him as a healer or babyface as needed. But to me, they're going to have him be a babyface. I mean, out uh, is he not the biggest babyface on their roster already, maybe with the exception of Darby Allen? Because, like, as far as looking at, like, AEW fans online and stuff, he's the most liked or one of the most liked. And just did it like that. Pretty impressive. And, and like, you know, he's going to have a good match with Kenny. If they do the Kenny Omega thing, he's going to have a fucking good match because it's Kenny Omega. Or if they go against the Good Brothers, him and Moxley, they're going to have a good match because it's the Good Brothers. So, like, he's kind of protected in this situation either way. What, however, as far as in-ring goes and how he wants to work that out and not be as heelish or whatever, um... You, you don't really get a better opponent than Kenny Omega for something like that. I mean, I guess AJ Styles. If anything, this is going to be more on Kenny Omega's shoulders to um, have that great match with someone like Eddie Kingston, right? Yeah, because I think we can definitely say that um, acrobatics, or even just, like I said, prettiness is not a thing with Kingston. He's good with, I think, psychology. I think he's got good punches, and he, he's a believable brawler, but... You know, it usually takes the other opponent to equate a really good match, and Kenny's definitely someone that he can bounce off of pretty well, I would say. Yes, sir. I mean, this is the uh, the old stigmatism. That guy could have a great match with a broom. We'll see, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right? It no, was not a sex style. God damn it. <laughs> not that I would uh, – not that – Oh man, I wasn't even trying to do the sex style thing. I mean, this is the uh, this to me will prove you know just how good Kenny Omega is in the ring because he's going through a feud with John Moxley already, and and if his if the next matchup is going to be him and Kingston and him and Christian, etc., like you're putting a lot of weight on his shoulders. He's probably the guy that can do it. We'll see. Yeah, and then we're going to see the return of the clean the cleaner, if you will, going against fucking Rich Swan, probably 90 miles an hour. Or so. We'll always 
he's adaptable, man. Kenny definitely is adaptable. Like I said about the Bucks, a lot of people don't give him that credit either. Um, so yeah, Cody Rhodes, Seth Gargas. Uh, really cool that throughout this, before Seth got taken out pretty much immediately, um, you know, Seth was put over, or at least Gangrel, who was his teacher, was put over. Uh, Jr. speaking some good words about Gangrel and stuff like that. And then, like I said, uh, I mean, it was like two minutes, and then he made him tap out to the figure four de- uh, leg lock. It wasn't about the match itself, though. It was about what happened afterwards. Uh, you know, we went to an interview. Double uh, A came up to Tony Schiavone and let him know that they didn't have much time to hurry it up, basically. I like that. Uh, Tony Schiavone, uh, you know, says his first question. Cody goes to answer it. And someone interrupts him, and that someone is Pentagon. And Pentagon basically says, you know, he has uh, Alex uh, Abrates uh, translating for him, and he's the uh, Spanish announcer. He does a lot of stuff on uh, AEW, uh, or being the elite, I should say. Very funny guy. But, you know, kind of doing it half in English and half using him as a translator. And I love the line that, you know, he, he kept on going back and forth the translation, and then he started talking in English directly to Cody. And Pentagon just showed how much fucking charisma he's got. And I brought this up on um, on Tom's Friday show, uh, Tom's Clark's main event, uh, that I said that, you know, to me, this proves that people like Andrade and Shinsuke could do fine with someone translating for them because they have that charisma. They, they If they were speaking their language, they'd have no issue, essentially. And Pentagon definitely, to me, represents that concept he made a comment saying if cody was the prince of wrestling or or whatever he said that the prince of pro wrestling then he is the lord of lucha libre and he said that you know cody he feels uh screwed him over in the ladder match and that he almost broke his arm and that he's lucky that he wasn't able to lock that on because we all know that pentagon or i I would assume most of us know that pentagon likes to do the fake arm break if you will wrenching their arm all the way back um, and said that he was planning on doing that to Cody. So he couldn't hold his uh, first child. This promotes Cody to jump out of the ring and just start a huge brawl with Pentagon. And uh, I thought this was awesome. I'm really looking forward to, you know, the two of them going after each other. This is a good feud without a title involved. And uh, both guys are awesome. Both guys are charismatic as hell. I'm sure they're going to have some awesome matches. So I'm looking forward to this, and I like Pentagon kind of towing the line like he always has of heel baby face. He's usually in the middle, and like I said, the guy's got so much charisma. He's been one of my favorite wrestlers uh, in the industry for a long time, so I'm liking him promoted as a singles wrestler against Cody Rhodes. I think that this is going to be good, and I could see Cody actually putting Pentagon over in some situation, so we'll have to find out what happens. What do you think about this, Chris? I thought it was great, man, and, and good stuff from Pentagon. I liked the uh, the line specifically where he's like, you're lucky I didn't focus on you the entire match because I would have broke your arm so bad that you wouldn't be able to hold your baby daughter when she's born, um, which was pretty heel, and I, I enjoyed that. I like the, uh, the addition of the translator, Alex. I think that that could be a permanent thing, maybe? I feel like they could figure a way to work that out because, I mean – this was a great use of 
of him promoing and he's quick enough to translate it back. So it didn't seem like it was dragging at all. And uh, I'm looking forward to this feud, man. It should be really, really fun going forward. Uh, This is a match I've been wanting to see or a feud I've been wanting to see for a while. And and like you said, Pentagon's kind of, you can put him anywhere you need to, because he's just that kind of character based on his look and his in-ring charisma and stuff, whether he's a heel or a baby face, I think the match will work. And in this scenario, uh, the way they've way they've had him promo so far, he is definitely the asshole in this scenario. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, another feud that I'm very much well, if it is a feud, uh, but I'm looking forward to is what happens next. So we have Tony Schiavone and uh, he announces Sting like he does. It's actually starting to get on my nerves. I got to be honest with you. I know that's Tony's thing, but it sounds so fake half the time when he's doing it. But that's whatever. It's 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 anyways. So Sting is gonna cut a promo very similar to what just happened to Cody, um, and uh, gets interrupted. And this time it's the uh, Murder Hawk Monster, Lance Archer, and Jake the Snake. Um, you know, Sting only got a couple words out. He just put over Darby Allen essentially and said that they beat up. Brian Cage and Ricky Starks, and that's all you could say. Um, Murderhawk Monster says that he talks about taking what is his and claim it'll be more, uh, it'll be more than time, ref- referring to Sting made during his uh, quick promo before he was interrupted. So, uh, you know, Tony Schiavone says, I understand that, but right now this is Sting's time. And Archer and, and, uh, and Roberts get all pissed off, and Archer kind of threatens Sting. And Jake says, hi, Sting, really quick, just kind of abruptly. And then they leave, and Sting kind of is like, what the hell, and just walks off. So this is kind of a weird segment. Lance Archer was on, um, which fucking thing was I listening to? Busted Open, getting interviewed. And he told Bully Ray at Dave LaGreca that, you know, his two favorite wrestlers growing up were Sting and The Undertaker. And that he's a huge Sting fan, and if he had a chance, he'd love to work with them. So, you know, I don't know how, as far as a match, this is going to be. If they're, it, it seems like they're doing this. I just, and I told you this, Chris. Even though it didn't lead to the greatest match stipulation, Jake and Sting have history in the in the uh, in the past. Um, I would have liked seeing Jake on the mic. I would like to see Jake more on the mic sometimes. Uh, and sometimes I give it to him, and sometimes he doesn't say anything, or, her, or he'll do what he did and just say hi, Sting. But they do history. Do, they do have history. Lance Archer is pretty damn intimidating looking, and I, I definitely think in this scenario Sting would put over Lance. But um, interesting stuff nonetheless. Lance is pretty safe, I would say, for a big guy. So I, if they're going to actually have this as a normal match, I don't think it would be uh, a bad idea is what I'm saying based on how Sting has been in the ring as of lately. Uh, what do you think about all this, Chris? Um, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily super excited about the feud. I mean, it's cool that Lance Archer's doing something. I feel like if you're going to do that, you should have just had him win the damn match, like I said, at the pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> one, to get him some momentum, but also, two, to have a reason why he would come after Sting. Uh, and And is the actual answer this is setting up him versus Darby? Is this just a situation where Sting is going to get demolished by uh, Archer somewhere in the back, and then the actual match is Darby Allen versus Lance Archer? Because I kind of feel I kind of feel like that's probably where it's headed. 
Um, if not, they should go back to Lance Archer just beating the shit out of people in Darby Allen's backyard. Remember those vignettes? <laughs> and then I guess you set up that that cinematic match between him and Lance Archer. That's hilarious. I forgot about those uh, vignettes. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, interesting stuff. I don't know exactly where they're going, but I think it will inevitably be Lance Archer against Darby Allen. Um, I just, like I said, I would put over Lance in those type of scenarios, though. I think that he needs some momentum um, in a positive direction, but I don't know. I guess we could be wrong. But uh, next up, we yeah. had Dash. Uh, Sorry. Uh, when did the – I was about to say, did – I have, my notes may be a little mixed up. Does the Adam Was the Adam Page thing directly after this? Oh, I, maybe maybe my thing's not uh, stating that. Um, no, you might be right. I'm looking at my handwritten notes, so if you're looking at something else, then you're good. Because I, I was just gonna say, it seemed like they this was like 15 minutes of segments. So. No, yeah, that, that's coming up. Okay, so next we had. Um, I'm sorry, we had Dasha uh, speaking to QT Marshall and Lee Johnson. QT kind of apologized about what happened, said, you know, sometimes tempers flare, basically, and that he was going to be there for, for Lee tonight. And then this is where another, it's like, if you just had a malfunction at your pay-per-view, this is probably the worst thing that could happen, but I don't think this is on them at all. This is obviously a basketball game uh, from, you know, getting getting recorded from TNT that the audio of it started just falling into it. And I think most people, like myself, was like, what the fuck's going on? Because I'm watching both NXT and uh, AEW at the same time. So I'm like, is NXT on? No, it's muted. What the hell is that? So I'm like, I re-put on, refresh my friggin' thing for AEW. It's still there. And you can start hearing, this is the first time I've heard the chant defense uh, during a match. So why, I mean, this sucks, you know, just because it's kind of like a technical error that I don't think is really on AEW. But also, we have Ethan Page, his first singles match. Uh, he had a promo, couldn't hear a goddamn thing, and then his, his match with Lee Johnson was just him destroying him, and QT uh, Marshall would end up like leaving Lee there because he was so pissed off that Lee was losing so badly, and uh, yeah, that was um, I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's really what happened. Um, he just beat him up. And got the win, but we, like I heard, like I said, we we heard defense. They went to a commercial, came back. It was still like that. Um, but yeah, afterwards we had Page. You know, he started booting uh, Johnson. Like I said, QT Marshall doesn't do anything. Dustin Rhodes runs down and makes a save, but Page uh, runs off. Dustin turns his attention to QT, and he noticed, just walks away, and and uh, yeah, that's it. I guess we're going for QT versus Dustin. Chris, I don't know if I care about that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, but it, I'm fine with it because they're not going to build. I mean, this isn't a huge storyline. This is just kind of a mid-card thing, right? Or a yeah. low-card thing. So I, I, you throw this thing on the uh, the next buy-in or whatever they want to call it, or you put it on dark. It's it's fine. I don't have a problem with it at all. Um, these the, – okay, so the audio issues <laughs> – which I immediately sent you because I don't know if you're – were you watching the same feed as me? Yeah, I, okay. I'm assuming because I, I heard them. Was okay, that March so, Madness coming in? 
It was okay. So is TNT had an NBA game, and I guess the streams just got mixed up. But even leading into that, there were some production issues on the AEW side. So I don't know if they're trying to cover that up because we get like an Ethan Page promo where he's just disembodied, <laughs> like no video, just like a promo coming into it, and then the in in the poor guy his first match, first singles match on TV. It's just the entire damn thing is just covered with like defense chants and like very much a sports game. <laughs> you can definitely hear it. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for Ethan Page here, but I mean what I was asking earlier, because of all these segments, they clustered all of their kind of promo segments right here in the middle of the show. Cause I mean, this was just a quick squash match and then we set up the QT Marshall stuff. We had the Ethan page promo. We had the promo that we just talked about with, um, right before, before this segment. And then we're going straight into Adam page after this. So it was like a good 30 minutes of kind of not wrestling. Am I the only one yeah. that kind of feels this way? They yeah, do this and after on Adam Page, show. they did the Kenny stuff. Yeah, and it, it kind of reminds me of the way you used to have like Saturday Night Main Event, where it would just be like, here's the promos, and then here's like a couple matches. Um, in the way that they do it, because they do squish it all together. But uh, I mean, it doesn't bother me because the show kind of moves quickly. But this shit gets buried on Raw all the time when they do this, so I'm just pointing it out. You're not allowed to do that, Chris. God. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess the difference is this stuff actually is setting up something in the future, so it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. All right, so we had Alex Marvez talking to Hangman Adam Page, the Dark Order. We kind of already talked about this. Pretty funny segment. It comes up on a on a, uh, a giant tractor that he purchased. Um. He has whiskey bottles. You know, he's talking about what he spent his money on. And uh, the Dark Order all get on it, but they have to kick off Alan Angels uh, because of the weight situation on it. And they drive off while Alan just stays there chilling with Alex Marvez. Um, funny stuff. I, I told you, I can't help but like this stuff. I want Adam Page eventually on his own, but him with all these little buddies dressed in purple is pretty funny. Yeah, I, I liked this promo. I thought it was very funny, and obviously they're not completely done with the Matt stuff. It seems like they're probably setting up some kind of big match between Dark Order and Adam Page versus Matt and Matt's crew, which I guess gets set up a little later with the Bunny and the Blade. Um, we could talk about it now if you want, but yeah, Matt Hart had new recruits. He's got the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny, all a part of his team now. Because they're still heels, and Eddie Kingston's a good guy now. <laughs> Matt Hardy's like, you guys are so much alike. <laughs> like, that, I popped for that. I thought that was very funny. And, um, yeah, the lawnmower thing, it scared the hell out of me because the thing started to pop a willy because there were so many people on it. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, this is... I, I guess the actual question is, like, would you want Adam Page kind of tossed in the middle of this Moxley Christian stuff anyway? So for him to be kind of a highlight of the show away from that stuff right now is probably not the worst thing in the entire world. Yeah. Although, what, what did what did Brian last say? He goes, he was like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't, 
I don't mind the pairing, but at the same time, it's like it seems like Adam Page is getting built to be one of your bigger guys in your company. Would you really early on want Austin to hang out with the oddities? And I was like, eh, God, that's kind of I mean, they're not the oddities, but they're it is a wacky little group for Page to be wasting time with at the same time. Yeah, but they're kind of just clinging on to him. You know what I mean? Like, he's not so they're part parasites. of parasites. Yeah, they're not part of his. He's not part of their group. They kind of just show up whenever he's doing something. Hey, I'm not gonna complain <laughs> because you know who could be with him right now? Marco Stunt. So that's good. <laughs> well, look, and if Austin was with the Oddities, it would probably be fucking great. So as long <laughs> as, as I mean, he doesn't give Golga a stunner, because I love John Tento. Yeah, I mean, as long as as long as he's not. Um, Selling to these guys, them being associated with him right now is not, I mean, like I said, they can't push the dude to the main event right now because it's, they have a huge story angle across multiple promotions. So you got to have something for him to do. And Jonathan Silver's really over with the crowd and everyone kind of likes Dark Order right now. So shit, why not? I, I have no problems with it. All right, let's move on. So the thing I've been looking forward to talking about the most, Kenny Omega and Don Callis interrupt what was supposed to be an interview with Tony Schiavone and Christian Cage. Tony cannot just get a fucking interview on this damn show. Um, everyone interrupts him. But anyways, so Don, the good brothers, and Kenny come to the ring, and Don's talking, and, um, you know, he was like, ha-ha, we 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 uh we made you guys get happy about what was going to happen and then we took that from you now was it was it on purpose or not we're not going to tell but blah 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 so this went on for a very long time and i don't even remember everything that don said all i know is at one point eddie kingston comes out and uh you know doesn't like what they're saying basically and he's kind of taking on all four of them and they're berating him, and he's like, yeah, whatever. He keeps on putting up his hands, like, you know, just just uh, keep on talking. Keep on, that's, that's the presence that he had, was like, keep on talking. And uh, at one point, they decide to jokingly do the countdown again, and when it happens, Kenny jumps onto the ground, and him and Don are going to do the whole entire thing that, you know, Eddie did with John, uh, where he covered him. And uh, I never thought I'd hear this on TNT television, but all of a sudden, uh, it wasn't Scissor Me Xerxes, like Mr. Garrison said, but Kenny's told Don, Don, 69 me. So they go to an overhead shot, and Don Callis on top of Kenny, 69ing him. Um, if you don't know what that is, I'd tell you to search it, but I'm assuming that you might be younger, so don't do that. Um, very awkward. <laughs> God damn it. I don't think Don helped the story at all progress of the explosion they should have just came out and said that they did it on purpose so even if people don't believe him they're heels who gives a shit like they were trying to make the audience sad they were trying to scare eddie and just like own up to it in, in that sense i guess instead of trying to keep the mystery and then go on and rant about shit for another fucking 10 minutes so at one point this is where I actually got good you know uh kenny's kenny's looking at at him and he's like you know eddie you want to punch me why don't you fucking punch me? And he keeps on telling him and trying to, like, you won't do it. You know, I got Don here. I got the good brothers. You, you would never do it. And finally, Eddie just punched him. And John Moxley ran to the ring. And him and uh, 
them and the Good Brothers start brawling all the way to the back. And then uh, Christian Cage comes in the ring, picks up Kenny, uh, grabs his title, gives him a little stare down. Kenny goes to the outside, is furious, yelling at Christian. And uh, apparently Christian might be cutting in line. That's what we got from this, Chris. He's cutting! He doesn't give a shit. You know, this is this is fans that have no problem that this act that this company doesn't actively keep up with their own fucking win loss records, but are mad that probably a major star, you know, outside of the the bubble, like Christian, how dare he get into the title picture? Whatever. Isn't Brian Cage like fucking twenty and, and two? Stupid. <laughs> uh I I mean for those fans that are upset, how did you not see the fact they're setting up a tag match against the Good Brothers? And also, if you play in the fact that this is going to go cross-promotion, you're looking at a legitimate Hall of Famer for TNA with Christian. Like, he's in their Hall of Fame. So, you know, that setup alone would lead me to believe if you told everyone you're bringing in a big Hall of Famer, you would assume that he's going to be part of the main event picture. It, you shouldn't be surprised if that's what they set up. So calm the fuck down, everyone. It'll be okay. <laughs> um, this promo was hilarious. It, I, Like I said, I think that both of the promos from these guys off of that barbed wire deathmatch failed explosion was they turned chicken salad into chicken shit the best they could. Or reverse that. Switch it. <laughs> they turn chicken shit into chicken salad the best they could. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, what else is there really to say? I loved Eddie Kingston. He counting the guys before he punched Kenny. I thought that was a little nice little touch. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> um, and, and the fact that he didn't back down. He just it was like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm here. <laughs> Might as well throw a punch, I guess. And uh, Christian... So that move is called the kill switch now. Am I crazy or did it used to be called the unprettier? It was. Okay. Um, what call it? The only one who calls it the unprettier anymore, and that was because it was suggested by Christian, is uh, Tyler. Um, Tyler, uh, God dang it. Him and Fandango. Tyler Breeze. He asked Christian if he could use the move, and he's like, yeah, but you really should call it the unprettier still. But Christian changed that apparently a while ago. I only know that because I listened to their interview with Fandango a couple years back. Yeah, I don't have a problem. I just forgot that he called it the kill switch because it's been so long since I've seen him in the ring. I mean, the last time I saw him hit that move was probably his title run during Impact. So I had forgotten. I just went back to the old days of it being called the Unprettier. I was like, what the fuck is the kill switch? I had to Google it real quick. But good stuff, man. I'm. I don't. I think this is. I think that Kenny's got a couple. I like. I like it when you don't know how many people are, are, are going for the title. And it seems you kind of have that with the TNT. Scorpio Sky is obviously not done with Darby Allen. We'll get to that. But Lance Archer kind of being there. But Kenny's got Rich Swan now to deal with. He's got, you know, he's still got John Moxley looming, even though obviously Moxley is leaving. Eddie Kingston, Christian. It seems like a lot of people are gunning for his title, and I like that element when a champion has multiple options. I think that that actually makes better storyline a lot of time. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. And like I said, even with even with something as small as Darby Allen, well, now that Sting is in the mix with Lance Archer, 
you know, even if you want to drop the title to Scorpio, you still have another storyline for Darby. They're, they've done a really good job at. I, I'll give I'll give AEW credit on this. They've done a really good job of keeping you intrigued, and you have some predictions of where things could go, and it kind of always makes sense, um, with the exception of like maybe the Miro shit in the women's division. But the rest of their main storylines, they highlight what you think will happen probably will happen because that's what should happen and makes sense. All right. Um, we, we talked about this, but we'll go into it now. So we had match with the ladies, Britt Baker, Nala Rose and Maki Ito going against Hikiru Shida, Ryo Mizunami and Thunder Rosa, uh, in a match. Um, so the way that this started made me laugh, but I don't know. I guess it was intended to make me laugh, but I don't know if it was for the good reasons. So the last person out of the heels to come out was Makito, and she's singing her, her little song on the way to it uh, in her microphone. And all of a sudden the baby faces, for some reason, the baby faces jump the heels in the ring and start beating the shit out of them. Well, you know, Makito's not done with her song, so she continues to go with it. And uh, keeps on singing, and at one point, Sheeta sees her still singing on the ramp, runs up, she avoids her, finishes her song, and then gives some of the worst, I mean, I don't know how the hell, he, it's a microphone hit, but some of the worst microphone hits. Of, um, and this match was all over the fucking place. It did not make some of the women that I really like in this look good, and I'm glad we're getting a so, so this is all promoting, and, you know, we, we would have the match. I don't remember a lot of stuff. It was as sloppy as hell. Kurashida, Mizunami, and Thunder Rosa won, but then the heels took out Shida and uh, Mizunami and just beat the crap out of Thunder Rosa. And this would prompt to, we're going to have finally a match, but it's going to be the main event, the first women's main event on Dynamite. Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker, they're going to finish their feud. Why the fuck would you give such a shitty match to set that up? This doesn't make me – I mean, I like Burt Baker a lot, especially as a character, and I like Thunder Rosa a lot, especially as a wrestler. But this shit did not make me really excited about seeing the first women's main event. So, uh, yeah, we already talked about this at length. I hated it. I hated this match. Makito is entertaining, but she that, does, that can only get you certain places, especially if your in-ring stuff sucks. And um, not a big fan of Mizunami. And this Sheena looks stupid half the time in this, especially when she went after Makito and she fucking just avoided her real quick, let her trip, and they start beating her with the microphone in a terrible fashion. Chris, what did you think about all this? Well, one, how the fuck is that not a DQ? If you start hitting your opponent with a microphone in a tag match, um, also it not to get too into the psychology, but didn't your champion just lose by getting hit with a microphone like a month ago, two months ago, or whenever the last pay-per-view was, not the most recent one, but that that's how Moxley lost. He got hit by, you know, Don Callis with a, with a microphone. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> you're going to have this girl hit Sheeta like seven times, and she's like fine afterwards. Um, also, she's getting choked with the worst fucking choke i've ever seen by vicky guerrero uh they go into the ring they do that mime shit that i hated at the pay-per-view uh yeah bad this match was bad i i can't think of anything redeeming from this match i don't care about any of the feuds coming out of it 
uh, I like, like you said, I like Thunder Rosa and I like Britt Baker and I like, uh, I like Sheeta fine. I think there's more they can do with Sheeta, but that's not, you know, not really her fault. I don't care about any of this crap. And, and, <laughs> and like I said, does this shitty match make you excited about the first women's uh, main event next week between Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker? No, I'm just excited because it's Thunder Rosa and the main event. But and I like Britt Baker, so I'm excited for those two stars. But this match had to me had nothing to do with that. Like, what was even the finish of this match? Because it didn't really set up that. Um, what is the the? Uh, there was a DD, tornado DDT on Rosa. Rebel enters the ring with a crutch in her hand. Rosa takes it and knocks Rebel out of the out of the ring. Um. Charges at Rosa looking for a swing and DUT, but Rosa counters it and spikes her for the pin. So, yeah, Maki Ito tried to go for her uh, swing and DDT, and Rosa got her into a uh, spike DDT and pinned her. That was it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't even remember anything in the match that set up the damn main event for next week. I guess they're building off of that buy-in. I guess it was the aftermatch because I guess Britt Baker and all the heels beating the shit out of Thunder Rosa after taking out the two other ladies. Um, I don't know. I guess that was the way they built it up. Yeah, and then there is a main event coming up on one of the AEW cards. This is going to be Maki versus Rio. So, well, they're obviously keeping Maki around for a while. Yay! Um, <laughs> this was uh, this was the worst thing on the show, easily. I and, would uh, love a love, um, you know, a a girlfriend boyfriend dynamic between. Marco Stunt and Makito. Um, and she can pee on him. <laughs> oh, on television. God. <laughs> she well, called herself the, 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 what did she say? The God of Piss? I, um, what is that? What does that even mean? <laughs> is, no. is, it, is it R. Kelly, the God of Piss? I want to pee on you. <laughs> drip, drip, drip. Drip, drip, drip. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was bad. Uh, I like Thunder Rosa, and I like Serena Deebs, and I feel like Britt Baker's pretty good. You got Nyla Rose there. Maybe look at what you're doing in the men's division and I don't know, tell us some storylines, or at least make me care about Maki Ito. If I'm going to have to put up with her being shitty in the ring, I need to care more about her than just her being cute, I guess, which I, I'm assuming what they're going for. But in, in the way they started this match, Dane, here's the other thing. Why did someone not just hit a fucking schoolboy pin? I don't know. And then do the beatdown? Because then at least I wouldn't have had to see the rest of this shitty match. Yeah. I don't got it for you, man. I have no idea. Uh, let's continue going. We had an awesome uh, match next. TNT Championship match set up by the pay-per-view. Scorpio Sky, who won the ladder match and the uh, quote-unquote golden brass ring, whatever the fuck it was supposed to be. I guess it was a golden ring, but you know what they were going for. Um, against Darby Allen, the champion, and this was an awesome match. I loved at the beginning how it started with chain wrestling, and you would think because of size, Scorpio would have the advantage, but Darby was able to get out of it, and we were um, you know, reminded by Jim Ross of his college uh, wrestling background. Darby, that he was a competitive amateur, 
and they did a lot of that. And then when it picked up, it really fucking picked up. I think I want to go to the end. The two reversals that Scorpio Sky did were fucking phenomenal. Um, and just it's kind of like Moose and, and Rich Swan, some of the risks that they took. If you time this wrong, it's going to look terrible, terrible botch or it could be dangerous. But both of them, just both guys, Darby Allen goes for one of his um, dives to the outside where he just takes the person's head off like Phoenix does. And Scorpio Sky jumps right in time and RKO's him or gives him a cutter right on the outside. Isn't able to pull it off uh, later on, which led to the ending of the match. Darby went to go do the coffin drop. Scorpio Sky got up and reversed it into a fucking powerbomb. Uh, but Darby Allen, who I, I have said this before in the past, uh, some of the best roll-ups and or just like stuff where he can basically trap the person. He makes it look so realistic. He rolled up fucking Scorpio Sky and got the three count. And afterwards, after they pounded it at the beginning and Scorpio Sky was a nice little baby face, kind of sh- sh- should have seen this coming, especially with him on commentary last week and being angry about being overlooked and whatnot. Scorpio lost it and started beating the crap out of Darby Allen. And uh, yeah. Um, he snapped. He did, he pulled a heel turn. So another one of their shiny baby faces is now a heel. So uh, the officials got him off of him, and he was smirking and smiling while the commentators were pointing out just how horrendous he was in all this. And Darby Allen looked dead. Uh, great at selling. Great match, man. I think this might have been my favorite match of the week. It's this one, Finn Balor and um and Adam Cole to me. Yeah, my favorite match of the week was the definitely the Finn Balor match, but this was a really really damn good match. You're you're not wrong there for sure. I uh I love I love this. Um I like the idea that Scorpio Sky because he is also a high flyer kind of has Darby Allen scouted because Darby Allen didn't wasn't really able to hit any of the crazy stuff that he normally does, like you said with the counters specifically. Um, and then ended up winning by a roll-up. So it sets up a, a good match between these two. The Lance Archer sting thing is still looming, so I don't know if somehow Lance Archer is going to end up costing Darby the talent, the, the the title down the line. But either way, man, I'm looking forward to this feud. I like the uh, the Scorpio Sky heel turn, the official heel turn, I would think. And um, yeah, man, there's nothing negative to say about this match at all. I really, really enjoyed it. Man, was I wrong with my idea with Scorpio Sky? I thought you'd pin Scorpio Sky against Darby Allen, and you could have somehow Sting end up with Scorpio Sky because he's such a babyface, and have Sting go back to like the Surfer Sting concept. Uh, never mind. That was a stupid idea because Scorpio Sky is now a heel. He's been a heel before, but you know, like I said, it's interesting that they chose one of their shiny babyfaces and threw him in a new direction. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Yeah, you know, the thing about Sting is I don't think we'll ever get the unfortunately, I don't know that we'll ever get the surfer Sting again just because his height of popularity and the height of wrestling popularity is always going to be associated with him as Crow Sting, so he's pretty much going to be locked into that forever. It's kind of like how we wanted American Badass Undertaker. Maybe it'll come out uh when Sting is really really done, some some form of it, but yeah. I just want to see it with the old music. I don't you know, I, I see if they can purchase uh, the man called Sting, since I'm pretty sure the original one is owned by WWE, and just have him come out. And I mean, 
The thing about Sting is, though, I mean, and it's been like it for a while. He acts like old school Sting, and he dresses like Crow Sting. That's that's it's the same thing. Really. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it kind of is. I mean, that's that's what I've always said about Sting's promos. Is like when Sting promos as Crow Sting, <laughs> that's it's kind of like the weakest part of the gimmick, unfortunately. Um, maybe 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 we will we'll see Joker Sting. We could see that again. Ooh, Batman to Joker. All right. Our last segment, and I didn't realize that they were going to do the War Room um, tonight. I thought that was going to be in the future. I misunderstood. But, yeah, we had the Inner Circle come out. Wardlow, noticeably missing. But um, So it starts off with Chris Jericho talking about the whole entire thing. Suggests that they take some actions, maybe change some stuff, maybe add a new member. And MJF stops him right there. Uh, saying that that's that's not needed, that's not necessary, that they need to make some changes to the group, and then Sammy, um, Sammy's music hits, and why is Sammy coming out here? Sammy Guevara comes out. Uh, Chris Jericho says, "Dude, you're dead to us. Like, you know, get the hell out of here." And he's like, "Chris, I need you to see this video. It's really important." So apparently, Sammy went into the dressing room. He put a camera on there. And he recorded and then fast forwards it over time to a, you know, a meeting that MJF said to uh, Santana, Ortiz and um, Jake Hager about them turning on Chris Jericho and kicking him out of the inner circle. And they're all on the same page. And when Jericho gets back to Jericho, Jericho looks shocked. Sammy's like, I told you so. Like, this guy's a piece of shit. And... Uh, MJF's like, I didn't want you to find out like this, but get him, guys. And he positions Pride and Powerful and Jake Hager to go against them. Jericho and Sammy and just beat the crap out of them. They get towards them and then slowly turn around. And Chris Jericho goes, MJF, like, are you an idiot? Do you not think that we talk every week about this type of stuff? This has all been in the works to find out if you were a cockroach and so we could, like, basically beat the crap out of you. And guess what? You proved that we were right. So Jericho one-ups, you know, MJF, and they have him pleading and and sobbing in the corner for everything, you know, asking Jericho, who has his baseball bat, not to beat him up. And then he goes, he goes, you know, I forgot exactly what the line was. He was like, but the whole entire time I was creating my own team. Lights go off, lights go on, Tully Blanchard, Wardlow. FTR, Sean Spears, all in the ring, and that's when all mayhem starts happening. They start beating the crap out of them. Um, Jake Hager initially is taken out of the picture by Dax Harwood, who has a bottle. He looked like he cut his hand, so even if it was one of those fake ones, I guess like the sugar glass, like he was like, you know, uh, he was he was uh, nursing it the whole entire time. But uh, bleeding from the hand from smashing the bottle over Jake Hager's head, Hager's out. And then uh, Sean Spears, the chairman, he puts uh, – it was really fucking interesting the way they did this. It seems like Guevara has done this before, but they positioned the chair at the bottom in the uh, in the turnbuckle area, at the bottom part, and he basically drops Sammy into it, and his head goes right through the chair, look just gnarly. They take uh, handcuffs, and I know all of us are sick of handcuffs in wrestling, but they take handcuffs, uh, handcuff prime powerful, just beating the living shit out of them. And Chris Jericho is getting worked on by everyone, mainly Wardlow. Um, uh, what you call Max puts on his ring. 
punches uh, Chris Jericho in the face with it. Jericho's bleeding, busted open. They leave Prime Powerful in the ring. Sammy's knocked out. Jake's knocked out. And they go to the top ramp. And then Wardlow powerbombs Chris Jericho, the leader of the inner circle, off the ramp through two tables. And we go off the air with all of them standing on the ramp. Uh, MJF now has his own team. And it has Tully Blanchard as their wonderful manager, basically. FTR and Sean Spears and Wardlow. And definitely seeing from this a war games, but even singles matches, Sammy against MJF, MJF against Jericho, Jericho against Wardlow, Sean Spears against Sammy for what he did to him, uh, Jack Hager versus Sean Spears, and then obviously I want to see a tag team match with FTR and Pride and Powerful. So a lot of good stuff. I'm assuming Blood and Guts is happening soon. It's going to be these two teams. Um, and I'm looking forward to it, Chris. I loved all of this. Uh, there's definitely an odd man out, I would say, as far as this group goes, but we'll see what happens. And I think that that actually Wardlow pretty soon will become a big baby face out of this group from them screwing him over. But this is a heel group. This is not the inner circle. Inner circle, everyone loved them still, even if Chris Jericho called them all idiots or whatever. They're all singing a song. They got cool. They got what NWO happened. MJF and FTR especially still get heat with the audience, especially MJF. And I'm glad that we have a really good heel group. I know everyone's bitching. There's too many groups. There's too many groups. I'd rather have this one than a lot of the other ones there. To me, Dark Order is a bunch of peons, you know, dressed in, in purple where one of them, John Silver, is really over and they're hanging out with Adam. The Nightmare family, to me, is just the fucking gym that Cody and QT Marshall work at, and their recruits come into the main roster, so that's not really that big. You got these guys, you got the inner circle. Is the elite even the elite anymore? I mean, Kenny's with the the Young Bucks, I guess, and the Good Brothers, but you, you see what I'm saying? I don't think this is that big of a deal, and I like this group specifically. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in their horseman-like group. We've been talking about this for a long time. I joked and said MJF would make a lot of sense, but he was getting involved with the inner circle. I didn't know months later he'd be screwing over the inner circle to be the leader of this group. So don't think Cody's joining. And I think if I were them, I'd start taking out the favorite baby faces. Like next week, make it a thing to go after Orange Cassidy, go after Darby Allen and, and, and hurt him, or, or just... Be menacing next week and really put a presence that you guys are the new heel group, that you're going to destroy all the good guys uh, until the inner circle decide to confront you at some point. But uh, really, really like this ending. What'd you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a great way to end the show. I liked uh, MJF kind of cowering, but outsmarting uh, the baby faces. The crowd was really funny, chanting beatdown. <laughs> that made me laugh. Um also, it's glad to have a little bit of a live audience back, by the way. I'm, I'm enjoying some of – not all of it, but some of it. Uh, I like Sammy Guevara coming back into the fold, and this sets up like a perfect – a bunch of good matches. You know, you have Inner Circle. They have their tag team and Pride and Powerful, and you have FTR as part of Tully's group. You have – you know, you set up potential with Sammy Guevara versus um, – uh, God – 
like what the hell is the dude's name that we don't care about as part of this John group? Spears. Yeah, Sean Spears. You can have those two face off. You have, you know, your Haas match and and uh, Jack uh, Hagar and or Jake Hagar and and Wardlow, and then you have your big match, which right now is Jericho versus um, MJF. So I I like everything about this. There's lots of storylines to tell. I don't have a problem with groups as long as they have something to do. And right now all of the groups have something to do, even going to Cody's group, because that's, like I said, that's a lower card feud that they have with Dustin and QT Marshall right now. So as long as it's progressing and moving forward and there's something for the guys to do, I don't have a problem with it. It just can't get out of hand where you just have a bunch of groups to have groups and they're not actually doing anything to make the product better. Yeah. I'm very happy about this group. I'm wondering what their name's going to be. I'm wondering, you know, Arn gave the approval uh, after the match uh, last week on Dynamite with uh, FTR and, and Tully. Will he somehow get in all this? Uh, or does he hate MJF? So maybe he tells Tully, like, what the hell are you associating with this piece of crap for? You know, the 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 concept of eventually can we have these guys against Cody, basically? Like, is that going to happen? Um, could we... Sp- possibly see Sean Spears just get taken out of the group for whatever reason, then replaced by someone. Um, Wardlow coming out as a baby face from this group. There's so much they can do with this. And yes, a lot of it is going to be four horsemen esque storyline, probably stuff because Cody is dusty son and is obsessed with that era. And Tony Khan's obsessed with that stuff. And if you have Tully with fucking these guys, it just makes sense. You know, um, I'm fine with it. I'm I'm just kidding about Sean Spears. You know, he's the Barry in this group. That's what they've tried to do. I guess he has blonde hair now, but the loaded glove that Tully gave him. And then you have, obviously, Tully and and, uh, Arn within, you know, Cash and Dax. And if you're going to have a Ric Flair, MJF makes a lot of fucking sense. He is that piece of shit, you know, that can get under people. But unlike Flair, I don't think that, He's loved still at all either. Like, like people still liked Flair even when he was a heel, like a lot of people did. But I don't think MJF gets that love. So I think this makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I really am. Yeah, I have to agree with everything you said, man. I, I, it's, it, the Sean Spears thing is more just we don't see enough of him on TV. They've made, you know, outside of him hitting – having that one chair shot that was a botch. They haven't really gave me any reason to care about the character. The loaded glove thing is just, uh, it's always been dumb to me. Like just use brass knuckles. uh, If you're going to do that gimmick, because otherwise like what is a loaded glove? Aren't you going to hurt your hand with a loaded glove? I I don't know. Why does the Um, referee just, even if it doesn't have anything in it, obviously he has that intention. So why doesn't he go take the fucking thing off? Cause your manager's probably going to give you something to put in there. Like it's stupid. I just thought about this. Now we have two people with like punch gimmicks in the same fashion because you got the ring with oh, yeah. MJF and Sean Spears with the glove. That's kind of funny. Um, yeah. Like I said, I think there's a bunch of good potential matchups out of here. Uh, every heel group is going to draw comparisons to the horsemen. So, you know, like I, I think they picked the right guy in MJF. That's someone that me and you both hoped might end up with Tully and FTR. Uh, either him or Cody, I think, were our two 
top yep. favorites for that role. So I think this works out good, and it's time for a change within her circle. Like you said, they're already they're already kind of beloved anyways. They're not really a heel group. I mean, they do heel shit, but like they're not really heels. Um, so this is a good change, and also it's kind of stale. This freshens up Inner Circle a little bit. It's been it's been a year and a half since Inner Circle formed. I, I I like everything about this. I'm excited to see what MJF does and and the setup with him and Cody eventually down the line. I don't think is a far fetched idea, especially because Cody uh, Cody can't challenge for the title because he was screwed by his best friend. Right. It's got to come back around, man. So if they're setting that up down the line and we get we get a uh, Cody and and some other guys versus this group, some baby faces that that could be very entertaining. I don't necessarily I mean, maybe this that is the long build is that you do get the elite back with Cody and uh, the Young Bucks versus this group in some form or fashion. So that's, you know, FTR MGF versus Cody and the Young Bucks. Sounds like a, a really good match and a good feud to me. A lot of fun, man. And that's what I'm saying. Like they have a, they have potential next week. Just have these guys kind of bombard certain super baby faces to the company, whether it be maybe the young bucks or Cody and just at least one of them just bloody them up and really just put their stance on like, we are going to take out all of your favorite wrestlers we're going to hurt them. You're going to hate us. Like, really amplify that. And then at the end of the night, have the inner circle, you know, run up on them as baby faces now and put them in their place. And I would definitely suggest that this is war games. They're blood and guts eventually that it's going to be inner circle versus whatever the fuck you're going to call these guys. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree, man. All right, let's uh, let's kind of breeze through some of the stuff on NXT. Um, first thing that happened, obviously, William Regal came out. We already talked about it, made the announcement that Wednesday, April 7th, and uh, Thursday, April 8th, Wednesday on USA, and then on the network, and peacock on Thursday, April 8th, will be TakeOver. It will be a two-night thing. And then presented the women's, uh, the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships, uh, since Nia and, and, and uh, Shayna kind of, you know, involving Adam Pierce kind of, I don't know. They're trying to say they got screwed. So since they won the Dusty Classic as a consolation prize, um, uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai were considered the first. Uh, they kind of made an open proposition that you probably shouldn't have, uh, being cocky a little bit, or at least Dakota Kai kind of, said that they would take on whoever and then Shotzi Blackheart. And um, Ember Moon got the challenge. They said they would take them out, and uh, that was going to be set up later on. And I definitely did not think they were going to win, but uh, that's the direction. Kind of went around your ass to get your elbow if you wanted Raquel Gonzalez versus Io Shirai, but whatever. My biggest thing is you didn't have to do this. Um all the fucking the women's tag team championships, the WWE ones, are just a prop. They put together makeshift supergroups, if you will, like Nyla and Shayna or Asuka and Charlotte, and they put it on them and they're props. It's just a reason for to get two stars that are female to go back and forth between Raw and SmackDown. They're nothing. Why not give them to Raquel and Dakota Kai 
and allow those belts to kind of flourish in a huge women's division with a bunch of female tag teams. I I, I don't get the un- I, I don't have much understanding for that. It's whatever. But William Rigo's big announcement, Chris, what did you think about two takeovers and the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships? All right, I'm just going to go straight to the point with this one. Uh, the biggest problem with this is you just had a match where they dropped the titles later on. Why did you not just have a match for the titles and just pick those two tag teams? Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know. So um, as far as them having a tag division in NXT, I, that's going to work better than the tag division they have on the main roster. So I don't have a huge problem with it. I just don't understand if the if the titles can technically be defended on all brands, why not just have one set of women's titles and defend them on all three brands? I don't know, man. I didn't expect you to be that fast, and I was eating something. I'm sorry. Hold on one second. No, you're good. I can bitch a little bit more. I mean, it's just they have a hard enough time booking one set of these titles. Now they have two sets of these titles. And, like, they just did this dusty classic tournament with the women. And, that like, why would that not be whoever was in the finals, the, the match for these titles? Or, better yet, why was that not just for the titles? Why is this just a random ass announcement just to set up a match on takeover, I guess. It's bad. I don't like it. <laughs> that sums it up for the most part. I don't like it. Well, why, I mean, why even put it on like, why even put it on him if you're going to have him drop it, especially because Raquel Gonzalez is in the title picture for the main title. Like it, I don't know. Is it's the whole thing was weird. It's like they crammed three shows together into one show for some reason. Yeah, I agree. And then the next match, we had an awesome match with Tony Storm and Io Shirai. I got to admit, I know that, I don't know. It's not like Sheeta where it's like I'm bored of Sheeta because there's not a lot of her personality that's been able to develop. Io, I love Io. I think that she's great. She's fucking uh, ferocious and crazy, but she's had that damn title so long and has beaten everyone. And part of me really wanted to see Tony Storm pull up an upset, but that did not happen. Um, it was crazy, actually. Uh, so the ending, Io would go for her moonsault, uh, lose it. Storm would get the Storm Zero. Io actually kicked out of it and then got her in a crossface and made her tap out. Um, I don't know, man. I like. I thought this was a good match. Uh, I like Io Shirai. I just, I'm hoping Raquel ends up getting it at NXT. But then again, or at TakeOver, I should say, I kind of see Raquel doing really well on Raw or SmackDown. Unlike some of the women, a part of NXT's roster, Raquel seems like a no-brainer. So, I don't know. Uh, How would you feel about this match and then Io uh, retaining? Does this help out Tony Storm? I don't know if it helps out Tony Storm, but neither did the heel turn, to be honest. I don't. That kind of just came out of left field. Um, I, I'm kind of with you. It's it's nothing against Io. She's still having great matches, 
but she has literally beaten everyone. So unless you're going to bring in a new challenger, say uh, Tessa Blanchard or whoever this dragon lady is from the other group to give her someone to face, she probably should drop this title at TakeOver. And then I don't know what that means for her, because are they going to move her to the main roster? And if so, what are they going to do with her? I have little faith in that because of how they... Oh, so what's going to happen? What's going to happen is her and Oscar are going to win the tag titles um, as soon as she gets called up. And they're going to call them the Kamikaze Warriors this time instead, because that's more offensive sounding. Oh, God. Um, Well, let's hope not. (laughs) Let's hope that's not the case. Uh, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have no problem with Raquel holding the, the belt at all. And I, the thing is, it's just, I don't know what you do with EO if you move her to the main roster. I, I just, I, after Rhea shows up at Royal Rumble, right. And is like one of the last people there <laughs> at the end of the match. And then she just disappeared for two months. So my faith in them knowing what to do with big stars from NXT has dwindled with Aleister Black and Keith Lee and uh, Andrade. Like, I I have no idea. Rhea Ripley. Uh, yeah, I agree. All right, so we had Finn Balor. He hypes up his match against uh, Adam Cole in a little uh, backstage promo. Uh, then we see Mackenzie Mitchell. She talks to L.A. Knight. He's cutting a good promo. Uh, Bronson Reed, who didn't appreciate some of the words that L.A. Knight said about him the week before, attacks him from behind. Officials separate them, and Bronson lets him know that he's going to be watching his first singles match next week really uh, close. And Knight says that uh, it isn't Reed's time, it's L.A.'s time. So then we had a match with, with Jake Atlas and Pete Dunne. I mean, this was just a match. Man, Pete Dunne, I showed you that picture. Looking fucking swole. And this was another one of those matches where he just was out maneuvering and out uh, wrestling uh, Jake Atlas, uh, just working on all of his limbs like he does a lot of times, stomping on his elbow, working on his fingers. I mean, he's always had like that that Finley-like nature with his wrestling and just, you know, afterwards just cuts a promo, says he's the best technical wrestler in the industry. Um, Man, I'd love to see Pete Dunne and Zack Sabre Jr. fight over that concept. Too bad we'll not get that. Wonder if they have a match somewhere. I'll have to look that up after this show. Anyways, <laughs> so Lorcan and Birch don't say a goddamn thing, but you know he goes on about fighting everyone and how no one's ready for him and and, and whatnot. Um, he he dares someone to try and prove him wrong, and then they go backstage. So yeah, Pete Dunne's calling for someone. Who is it? And how'd you like him destroying Jake Atlas uh, just in Pete Dunne fashion? Oh, man, I have no idea who it's going to be that shows up. Hopefully someone that doesn't have anything going on, like an Aleister Black or an Andrade or maybe even a Sami Zayn. Um, I, I, I love this segment. I thought it was great. There's so many good things that you can do with Pete Dunne. I mean, he's probably – he's he's – one of, if not my favorite wrestler on the NXT roster. So I'm very excited to see where they go with this. 
Uh, I have a little bit of breaking news for you, Dane, which is the the NWA world title match has been announced for the next NWA pay-per-view, and it is going to be Nick Aldis versus Aaron Stevens. Wow. And that's... That's, uh, Interesting. Uh, But... So did Aaron have to? I'm assuming he, he had to drop the tag team championship belts because of obviously his tag partner was question mark. Yeah, so that that's the thing is on the card he's still listed as the tag champion. Um, so I don't mm. know what they're doing with that, but that's interesting. That's coming up uh, next weekend, I believe, March 21st. So sorry, I just saw that come across and thought I'd bring it up because that's going to be their main event. Well, I don't see Stevens winning, but that should be a good match. Is yeah. Aaron Stevens going to be able to be a heel, or is it just like a dark order thing since, you know, everyone loved the question mark? I I think it's a little bit different because they've been off TV for so long. Is Aldis a heel TV. now, or is he a babyface? He was a heel last time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Weird. well, yeah, I, mean, I guess Aldis can work heel. If it, I, there, there's no reason why he can't. Um, yeah, I just saw that come across. Thought it was interesting. It's interesting. Uh, I just want to give um, give Frankie Kazarian a, a, a shot at that belt. I'd love to see that. That would be awesome. Maybe that's what it'll do after uh, they finally lose and Christopher Daniels has to retire. You know, they'll just – Frankie needs to do something. Um, well, cool. That's awesome. All right. Um, this is not where I was. All right, so we had a uh, – Shout out from Imperium without Walter. So it's Marcel Bartel, Fabian Eichner, and Alexander Wolf backstage. They put out a hand once again to Timothy Thatcher and said, even if they have to take on, you know, um, the, his his tag partner Tommaso Ciampa, they're willing to do that because of uh, Thatcher. And um, you know, the only thing is that Walter's not here, and we kind of talked about this a little bit. We uh, they, they they made some comments towards the end about Tommaso Ciampa needing to give permission to Timothy to do it, so they were definitely throwing that animosity out there. But Timothy was asked about his response to it, and Ciampa kind of answered for him and said that he's not he's not playing with them, and if anything, he'd like to take on their general. So next week we're gonna have a match between Ciampa and Thatcher, I believe, against Imperium. I mean, this is just setting up that Timothy is going to join the group and beat the crap out of Champa. I'm assuming, and either lead to Champa going against Timothy Thatcher again, or against Walter. Uh, maybe Walter returns next week. I don't know. What do you think about all this and this angle itself, Chris? I'm excited for the match, and and definitely for either way they go with this. But is Tim- Timothy Thatcher joining Imperium? They're offering him to join uh, because he used to be a part of RingConf with them. Yeah, so maybe we're just resetting up that feud with Ciampa and uh, Timothy Thatcher. Maybe Ciampa has to run through all these guys, and then he just decides he's going to go to the UK to fight (laughs) their leader, which would be great. Um, I, I have a feeling that we could see this could just be building towards the takeover match at Mania. I think that's a good setup for him versus Walter, right? Yeah. And that's a, that's a big match for that weekend. And 
it's not something that you need to do long term. And if you want to do a weird finish, you could. You could do a time limit draw. You could do a um, a DQ if you don't want either guy to lose. There's a lot of stuff you could do there. So I'm I'm excited for this. This is one of the things I like the most on the show, just because I like all of the guys involved. Yep, me too. I agree. All right. We had a package with Leon Ruff calling off Swerve Scott. Then we had our women's tag team title match, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart going against Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. I remember not too long ago, I was like, Ember Moon's going to have to change up her look because she's got a lot of the similar traits as Shotzi. They're both like kind of punkish, kind of horrorish. They both do the, oh, 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 you know, the, the moon call. Didn't realize they were just going to slam them together as a tag team. And I do like them as a tag team. I like the matching outfits, I like their entrance. But I did not think they were going to be the second NXT World Tag Team Champions. And they won. And it was kind of out of nowhere. Um, I, I, so at the end of it, Shotzi breaks free from a sleeper hold from Gonzalez. Moon goes for the eclipse on Gonzalez, but then Gonzalez hangs on. They tangle, and Moon puts up a fight as Gonzalez tries to powerbomb her. Kai gets ran into Gonzalez, which sends her and Moon tumbling over the top rope uh, to the floor. It looked like, um, actually, Gonzalez is having a little bit of issues, like, trying to get Moon back up, and that could have been a little bit disastrous, but, you know, shit happens. Shotzi goes on and takes an advantage, uh, hitting the big suplex and bridge on Kai for the pin, and they won the... NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. Um, they celebrated. The other girls were bewildered. Later on, they were interviewed. Dakota Kai was not too happy about all this. And Io Shirai came up to Raquel Gonzalez, who was sitting down, and pointed at her and said, you. And Raquel got in her face, and she goes, I want you next. So that is apparently who Io Shirai is going after. Raquel Gonzalez. But yeah. Take off the champions you just gave Raquel, even though she had nothing to do with the loss of it. Dakota Kai's one inevitably got the pin to put her in the title picture with Io Shirai. Very strange, questionable booking, I would say, Chris. Yeah, I, well, I'll start with a positive. This was a really good match. I liked the match a lot. Uh, just weird with the title picture because everyone knew Gonzalez was going to be the next in line for Io. So why not just have this match for the titles and not have her take a pin? Like that's the biggest question on this entire show. Everything else about this show I thought was really solid. If I'm being, if I'm being honest here, well, maybe outside of the Gargano stuff with a therapist, but uh, <laughs> this, um, yeah, just questionable booking as far as how they handled these tag titles. You already switched them in one night, which is not going to necessarily make fans care about them. Um, you're treating them as a prop, which I'm never a fan of. But the match itself was good. I look forward to the that match at Takeover with Io. It should be should be a lot of fun. I'm sure they're going to have a great match. Yep, I agree. All right, so Adam Cole is backstage, just going off about Roderick Strong, Kyle O'Reilly, and reminding those two chumps who the leader of this undisputed era is. He said he's the group, and he'll decide when it's dead. And that, if anything, he got rid of dead weight. Uh, he, you know, put some harsh words towards the NXT champion and said that he was going to take his title because he is the greatest NXT champion after holding that title uh, for as long as that he did. And, I mean, Adam Cole is one of the best heels in the business, like I said. 
still able somehow to retain heat. I know a lot of people still do the Adam Cole Bebe, but I didn't. I liked all the stuff that he did with um, Pat McAfee, except for the fact that he was kind of positioned the baby face. Adam Cole is a really perfect heel. I'm glad that they're leaving it open with the Undisputed Era. Maybe we'll have new members towards it because um, he is the Undisputed Era, and I'm, I'm glad that he's keeping the music. He's the Roman Reigns. He's keeping the fucking music. He's keeping the look. Screw off to the other members. But unlike Roman Reigns until nowadays, Adam's a heel, and he's going to prove it tonight, stuff like that. So uh, I love this promo, Chris. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I thought this was a great promo. It's exciting to see what they're doing with Undisputed Air because it would be really cool if maybe Finn Balor takes over the reins and they do a complete swap here. Um, they they got to do something to either freshen up Adam Cole, and there's nothing against how he's working or anything. It's just we have seen him versus everyone to the point where he should be a guy that's on the main roster, but you're always fearful that if he goes to the main roster, what will they actually do with him? So... Um, this is cool. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with the Undisputed Air. I, I like the idea of maybe some new members and they keep the group going. But to me, when you do something like that, it can get stale. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of the best way. To, you remember when Triple H basically left DX and they kind of hung on as DX with X-Pac, Rodogan. <laughs> Like oh, they were God. still, they were still doing the DX thing. You need you need a big f- member of some sort, someone to take over that group if you're going to keep it going. Um, and that's kind of the thing when you have a group that's been around for so long, is how to how to how to fix that. Either that, or you have all of the group, you know, decide that they're part of part of this and turn on Kyle O'Reilly. I'm surprised that. It wasn't a heel turn with like I always thought that it was going to be Kyle O'Reilly positioned as the babyface and he was going to be ousted from the group, but they've uh, they flipped the script on me here, Dane. So all of my predictions were bullshit. Yeah, I, I don't know who you put in that position either. It's uh like if Adam Cole wants to continue with the Undisputed Era, need a singles person and a tag team usually. I would say I don't know what tag team you put with them. I can't think of someone that was signed recently that I'm not thinking of. You know, that makes sense to join his group. And as far as a singles person, the only one I can think of out of the top of my head is if is if they signed Tessa to be like a female member, I could see that happening. But I don't I don't know. Uh, that's I don't know your replace. I was thinking the opposite where the undisputed error continues as the undisputed error. And he's the person that's actually ousted and they end up picking up someone like Finn Balor as the new leader of their group. That could happen. But I, it, I kind of agree with Adam in this, in this uh, promo that he is the undisputed era. Like he's always been the leader. He's always, you know, he's still going to come out to the music. I, I don't know if you have an undisputed era necessarily without him in it. You'd have to call it something else to me. Well, I mean, doesn't that make it better if they don't call it something else and he loses to Finn Balor and Finn Balor in Undisputed, the other members of Undisputed Era just beat the shit out of him afterwards? Yeah, it could happen. I mean, it kind of happened at the end of this night, but we'll we'll get to it. Um, But yeah, good stuff from Adam Cole. All right, so this is what you're talking about, so. We had the women's champions come in the back. 
greeted by the rest of the women's division, all clapping for them. And then you see Indy Hartwell and um, Cancel Ray just giving like shit faces and Indy's booing them. So it goes up to them. They walk into uh, Johnny Gargano and Gargano's like, where the hell's Austin Theory? And then Theory comes up behind him and asks Gargano if he paid the doctor off last week. And Gargano's like, yeah, I did. And he rants uh, about Theory and Dexter Loomis and why he paid the doctor off. Theory starts crying and says he's just angry. Gargano tries to turn Theory against Loomis. Theory rips his shirt and says he can't take this anymore. Theory tells Gargano that Loomis has crossed the line, apparently with the comments about his mediocre abs. Theory storms off and Hartwell and Gargano chase after him. Yeah. Now, I've liked a lot of their stuff, but um, Theory's looking like a fucking idiot in all this. Did you ever think he was going to be treated as a comedic character? No, but I also didn't think he was going to get sexual allegations levied against him to put him in this position. So, um, uh, This was fun back in December, but it's kind of like ran its course with this group. I, I don't know where you go with with Austin theory from here. My hope would be whatever this new NXT show is with Gabe Sapolsky behind it. That's kind of how you could maybe revive the guy, but yeah, the segment was bad. That's the best thing to say about it. The comedy didn't really work for me. Um, the therapist thing is weird. I, I don't understand the storyline they're going for, which is never good in wrestling. Well, uh, Austin Aries has Stockholm syndrome with Dexter Loomis. That's the main fucking story point. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I get that, but like, it's it terrible. It, yeah, I, it's it's bad. It kind of reminds me of that whole series of Walking Dead where Daryl Dixon was trapped by Negan's group, and they just kept continuous playing the music. Like, it, if I you're gonna do the stuff. If you're going to do the Stockholm Syndrome thing, you have to – well, at least they tried to do that, though. You have to try to break the character first, and we basically just got one day of him hanging out with Dexter Loomis <laughs> eating cereal and shit. So <laughs> I feel like if you're going to do that storyline, it would have to be drug out for a long, long period of time for it to make any sense. God, my brain is trying to search and remember what that song is, and I'm still trying to block it at the same time, so I won't remember it. Ugh. Anyways, it's Easy Street. Oh, no. Now I have it in my head. Damn it. Uh, my bad, dude. Now I'm going to have it in my head, too, now that you named it. <laughs> That's terrible. Sorry, listeners uh, out there. It's like we just hit you with a solid steel chair. Yeah, and you did the ECW thing where you just put your head out instead of trying to block it. Um, all right, Zaya Lee versus Caden Carter. This all comes down to Zaya was going to basically really hurt Caden, and her best buddy, Casey Canizaro, who's quote-unquote injured, comes in with crutches and, uh, you know, nails uh, Zaya Lee, DQ, setting up some more stuff. I don't know. I, I'm, this is actually making me... Her getting involved with these two women instead of them being some type of tag team and going forward is kind of making me just not care as much about Xylee and some of the cool things that they're doing, uh, if I'm to be honest about it. Um, but, yeah, one thing that was weird. So if you're watching both shows at the same time, 
Around this exact same time, Rebel used her crutch against the uh, whoever uh, in that terrible match. So it was both ladies using crutches at the same exact time on the television. That's like going to a radio station and going to another one, the same song's on. It just does not happen. It's incredible stuff. I don't care. Anyways, Chris, what would you think? I, I need them to get to the point in the storyline or whatever, <laughs> the unveiling or or something. Um, it was okay. I It's just kind of there for me on this show. Yeah. It was just there on the show. All right, so we had a cool package from Zoe Starks. Um, just very impressive lady. Uh, you, you know, Io Shirai's putting her over, a lot of the people in the back putting over her over, showing some of her highlights, and uh, exciting stuff. She's definitely another woman in the uh, in the uh, women's division to look for. Then we had Santos Escobar just fucking going back and forth in, in, in William Regal's face, talking about that he's a real Cruiserweight champion, and he shouldn't have to prove it by going against Jordan Devlin, and, you know, uh, William's like, sorry. That's what you're going to be doing. Ron Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde come up to him like we're about to go to the ring. He says, you know, do your thing, basically. i got to stick back here. And they go and have a match with Grizzled Young Veterans. Uh, pretty good match. And But, but the end of it, we would have um, these astronauts that we thought was Fandang or Brazongo that ended up being MSK, and they distracted Drake. Uh, Lacao del Fantasma wins. Rizango comes out as well after the match with Grizzly Young Vets meet MSK at ringside, but MSK assaults them with the helmets, and Gibson's arm is injured. Uh, so, whatchamacallit, Wesley starts working on it. Rizango appears in the ring now, attacking Lakota del Fantasma from behind, and fans cheer, and they clear out. MSK joins Rizango in the ring as they celebrate in the two teams' dance. So, obviously, this means that we're going to get Grizzly Young Vets and um, uh, Legado del Fantasma going against Brazongo and MSK, I'm assuming, next week. I don't know that, Chris, but I'm assuming that's going to happen. So how do you feel about Santos not being happy that he's got to do a unifying match with Jordan Devlin and then this tag match that happened afterwards? Mm. So, yeah, the Santos thing is interesting because Jordan Devlin's kind of coming out of nowhere and treat they're treating Escobar like he was a interim champion, right? which they yep. called him to begin with, but then they just completely dismissed it. And Escobar is also coming off getting demolished by Karrion Cross. So maybe uh, maybe those titles get unified and Devlin is the cruiserweight champion for a while. I don't I don't have a problem with that. Uh, the tag match was 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 decent. I mean, it was more of a setup, like you said, for next week, which seems to be a four four man tag or eight man tag, I should say. Um there was one more thing before this that you mentioned that I'm completely blanking on now. I'm very good at this podcasting thing. Dang. Zoe Stark. <laughs> Zoe, yeah, Zoe Stark. So wouldn't this promo have made more sense if they did it before her debut? Yeah, probably. She's already debuted, so like, I don't know if that was like a last-minute decision or how that how that got booked, but I'm very excited about her. Um, it's cool to hear everyone talking about how much – they think of her in the back, specifically people like Io Shirai. Uh, she's got a good look, and from what I've seen in the ring so far from the Dusty Classic in, in the past few weeks, um, 
definitely looking forward to seeing more of her. And uh, this women's division just continually gets stronger. I agree. All right, so we already talked about the Raquel Gonzalez uh, stare off with Io Shirai. We already talked about Tommaso Ciampa's response uh, and calling out the general, uh, Walter, uh, you know, talking on behalf of him and Thatcher, that Thatcher would not be joining along with him. And they will be going against Imperium next week. And also Leon Ruff versus Isaiah Swerve Scott, Dexter Loomis versus Austin Theory, and the in-ring debut of L.A. Knight, probably against Bronson Reed. Um, before we get to the main match, anything, any last things to say about that? No, man. Um, the Bronson Reed stuff is interesting. Uh, with He's got to lose, though, if he goes against L.A. Knight next week. I don't want to see fucking Eli Drake lose his first match. Yeah, I'm assuming that they're just going to have Eli Drake beat a jobber. And he's going to come out afterwards and beat him down or something. That would that would be my guess on where they're headed with that. Uh, the only thing I would say about L.A. Drake, does it seem like his promos are really scripted right now? They could be. Because they haven't been great. And I have a high level for him because I thought he was a really great promo when he was an impact. I mean, I think everyone's is, even Adam Cole's is to an extent. You know, or at least given, like, plot points. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see him evolve a little more. Maybe he'll enjoy, or maybe he'll join NXT Evolve. Huh? You want to do that? <laughs> oh. All right, let's get to the meat of the matter. The main event. Adam Cole, Finn Balor. Uh, these guys have faced each other many times. This is a good match, but it was definitely not a takeover match, if that makes sense. Because if a takeover match, there probably would have been about six other false finishes, followed by a whole entire section of Adam Cole just giving him 15 super kicks to the face. Because usually that's like a takeover match. But they're two of the best, like, or at least the most prestigious champions. Uh, you have the two-time Finn Balor, and you have the longest reigning Adam Cole. Um, and this is a damn good match, man. Um I think the main thing is they're still working on the whole entire, you know, uh, Finn Balor's jaws messed up. So Adam Cole stuck to that for a majority of the time. There was no slapping of the thighs and or uh, shorts when there were super kicks. Adam Cole made sure not to do that. Um, but, yeah, really, really good stuff. Uh, the end of it, it would end by having uh, Cole gets up capitalize but Balor takes him down and works him over they get up and Balor turns Cole inside out with a big clothesline Balor 1916 is countered again Cole super kicks the knee and Balor goes down to one knee Cole uh, charges and hits the last shot to the jaw but Balor uh, still kicks out just in time uh, Cole can't believe Balor kicked out Cole goes to the second rope for a Panama sunrise and he hits it dropping Balor on his head Cole covers, but Balor still kicks out. Cole is shocked. Cole gets up uh, first as Balor clutches his jaw. They hit the ropes, and Balor tosses Cole over the top rope as a desperation move. Balor goes back down on the mat to regroup inside the ring. The referee counts on Cole. Kyle O'Reilly suddenly appears in the crowd, stalking Cole. Cole looks like he's seen a ghost, asking uh, O'Reilly what he's doing here. 
Balor takes advantage and leaps over the ropes, taking Cole down. He does. Uh, Balor looks at O'Reilly in the crowd and then drops Cole with the 1916 on the outside, brings him back, does the coup de gras, and wins the match. After the match, Balor's music hits, and we see O'Reilly, uh, you know, enter the around the ring. Uh, he looks at Finn Balor, who's who's laying down. He puts his arm out, presenting Adam Cole for Kyle O'Reilly. Adam Cole's like begging O'Reilly not to do anything. O'Reilly just starts swinging at him and beating the living hell out of him. Grabs the uh, undisputed armbar or armband off of him and throws it. And they fight all the way up to the top. Uh, we go back to a shot of Finn Balor, who all of a sudden turns and says to whoever is behind him, um, you know, what does he say? It's like, uh, I've, I expected you sooner or something like that. And you see Karrion Cross behind them, and they stare off, and we go off the show with the two of those guys staring at each other. Um, but, yeah, good match. One thing with NXT, and AEW does this a lot too, especially NXT and their takeover matches and stuff like this, You, it, it, it kills the moves sometimes, man. I, I mean, really, he's going to take back-to-back not only the last shot, but then he kicks out of that and immediately kicks out of the 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 fucking Panama Sunrise too. Like I I don't know. Preserving finishers is a big deal to me, especially the finisher. Like if it's another move, I can deal with it, even if it looks really impactful. But if it's actually their finishing maneuver within the match, that shouldn't be you know at least at least get your foot up on the fucking rope or something. I don't know. That's one thing that bothers me. But still, it was an excellent match. These guys know how to work. We're getting Karrion Cross versus Finn Balor. We're getting Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole. I think those are your two two of your takeover matches, and those both should be great matches. I like the symbolism. Maybe you're right. Maybe Kyle taking the friggin' Undisputed Era band off of him is going to prompt Kyle to say, no, the three of us are together. We're going to get with someone else. Fuck you, Adam. But I don't know. Uh, what did you think about all this, Chris? I, well, I, I want to start by saying this was my favorite match of the week out of all the shows. Um, I thought it was a really great match. I, I'm kind of with you with the false finishers, but I'm, I guess I'm a little numb to it because they do this in kind of all of the big matches in NXT and WWE. It's, I mean, it's just something I've kind of grown to expect a little bit. Uh, I love the ending with Karrion Cross because he never actually lost the title, so I'm still looking forward to that match. And uh, a strong ending to the show, man. I thought... I, like I said, I thought I, I thought this was the best thing I saw in this week of wrestling. Now, granted, I haven't watched the Impact pay-per-view yet, so maybe there's some really good stuff on there. But everything else I've seen, this was definitely my favorite match of the week. Yeah. I thought it was an incredible, incredible match. Um, but yeah, this will this is going to build up to TakeOver. i got a couple of weeks to do that. i got two nights. should be very interesting. Um, because of the ending, I think AW kind of pulled my attention a little bit more, but this was an awesome match to end NXT. So both great shows. Um, it's time to get out of here. Chris, I'm going to send it to you first. Uh, obviously say goodbye to everyone, but you had something that you wanted to say about first. So the floor is yours. Good, sir. Yeah. I just wanted to, uh, say thoughts and prayers with my good friend, Eric Livingston. Um, he, I just found out recently he passed away for those that 
don't know Eric, he's big in uh, autographs and uh, autographing and, and signings from different wrestling events. And that's kind of how I met him. We ran a wrestling stream together for a while where we showed kind of all the classic wrestling from, let's say, 1985 to 2001. It was just on 24 hours a day. So really good friend, tragic loss, great guy. Um, so shout out to his family, thoughts and prayers. I just wanted to give him a little call out because he's a, he's part of the reason that I love wrestling so much, watching some of that old stuff. And, and part of my wrestling knowledge definitely comes from him. And uh, the the world is a sadder place without him, for sure. Uh, for anyone that wants to talk to me on Twitter, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter uh, and Facebook, Christopher.R.Patton. And um, thanks, Dane. Good show as always, man. And uh, love doing this. So send it back over to you, bud. And, uh, yes, rest in peace to your friend, and also rest in peace to uh, uh, boxing legend, uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler, who passed away. Uh, tragedies. Um, sorry to hear about them, but us at Wrestling Geeks Alliance, uh, we hope that you guys liked our show, uh, you know, and we'll have our next one next week. So get excited. If you're new, go to geekvibesnation.com, geekvibesnation.com. To find my articles from our various writers for different geek-related things. We do stuff for comics, movies, video games, wrestling. Uh, check out Tom Clark's main event. He is our wrestling writer. He has some awesome podcasts for you guys out there. And, uh, yeah, if you want to so- find us on social media, it's Geek Vibes Nation. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can listen to all of our uh, content and also Wrestling Geeks Alliance on any downloadable platform whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, um, SoundCloud, we're on all of them. Just see, search, if you're looking for Geek Vibes, uh, either GVN for some of the shows, like I do a show uh, called Dane Rants, uh, in which we just went over uh, WandaVision, so that's out there if you want to listen to me and uh, Joe and John Colina talk about WandaVision, the whole series. Check that out. We're going to be doing it more weekly for the uh, Falcon Winter Soldier show coming up, but that's GVN Presents. Dane Rants, or you can do Geek Vibes uh, Live uh, on on there, or uh, you can just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance. If you search those, you'll find us. Join the conversation. Join Geek Vibes Nation. Hope you guys have an excellent day doing whatever you're doing, and come back and listen to us. As always, let the Geek Vibes be with you, and peace out. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc